Beyond the Morgue, A Sight Fit, Part 2 of the Dawling Series. Written by Lisa Jane, read by Dr. Crumbles McStupid. Summary. Sean just wants to solve his latest case, but it isn't easy with Gus and Henry meddling in his love life, especially considering his love life consists of one bored workaholic detective on enforced leave. You're always ahead of the game. I drag behind. You never get caught in the rain. When I'm drenched to the bone every time. You're the first one to swim across the scene. I lag behind. You're always ahead of the game. While I drag behind. I drag behind. I drag behind. 1987. Sean watched his father carefully inspect the garage, nearly bouncing on the balls of his feet. Can I go see Gus now? he asked. Henry ran a finger over the shelf, inspecting it for dust before glancing around. Henry had to admit, there was a place for everything and everything was in its place. He couldn't have done it better himself. How did you get everything in those storage boxes? he asked. You taught me well, Sean said earnestly. I arranged them with military-like precision. Henry nodded, running a hand through Sean's hair to mess it up. You did good, kiddo, he said. This place is spotless. So, can I go see Gus now? Sean asked. Yeah, but I want you home by seven, Henry said. Sure, Sean said, throwing on his helmet and grabbing his bike. See you then! Henry proudly surveyed the garage, before heading back to the house. He came to a stop in the driveway, frowning as he saw most of his tools stacked up in neat rows, his lawnmower, his tapes of America's Most Wanted, and taped to the front was a sign written in blue crayon that said, Free Stuff. Sean! Henry shouted, but Sean was already halfway down the street on his bike, pedaling like mad. Two thousand nine. Sean sneezed as he got attacked by another couple of thousand dust bunnies, waving a hand in the air to try and clear them out. He walked to the bottom of the stairs and glared up where he could see the light on in the kitchen. This is child abuse, he shouted. His father appeared at the top of the stairs, arms crossed. You brought this on yourself, he said. Just count yourself lucky I'm not locking the door. Sean sighed, looking back down at the mess at his feet. He'd been here for three hours so far, and everything looked worse than it had when he'd got there. He hadn't realized his father was such a pack riot. And what kind of punishment was this for a grown man anyway? Gus's parents never made him clean their basement. Then again, Gus had never locked his father in the basement so he could go solve a murder either, so that might account for the differences in parenting. I don't hear you working, Henry shouted. You're going to be sorry when I die of penunocomosis, Sean shouted back. Penunocomosis is caused by years of dust inhalation, Sean, Henry said, returning to the doorway. And my basement's not exactly a coal mine. Maybe not, but have you ever heard of a feather duster? Sean demanded, sneezing again. Henry disappeared again, and Sean heaved another heavy sigh before another sneezing fit hit. He was just contemplating his chances of sneaking through the kitchen to the back door without being seen when Henry came stomping down the stairs, dragging his huge shop back outdoor vacuum behind him. Sean frowned at him. What are you doing? he asked, confused. 
Well, you're obviously not going to get any cleaning done while you're down here complaining like a little girl, Henry said, so I'm helping you get started. You're helping me? Sean asked. What's the catch? No catch, Sean, Henry snapped. Do you want help or not? Help is good, Sean said. Please feel free to do it all if you want. Not gonna happen, kid, Henry said. I'm just going to vacuum up some of this dust. Then I'll go to the store and pick us up a couple of steaks. Bribery, Sean said. You know me so well. Henry turned on the vacuum, sucking the excess dust from the shelves. Sean tiptoed over the cord to head for the stairs, and Henry caught him by the collar of his shirt without even turning around. He turned the vacuum back off and pointed at him. Don't even think about it, Sean, he snapped. You owe me. I really don't think the punishment fits the crime, Sean protested. When I locked you in the basement, you weren't down here more than fifteen minutes before Gus, the turncoat, let you out. I've been down here three hours already, inhaling near-fatal quantities of dust. Well, if during those three hours you had actually been working, you'd probably already be done, Henry told him, starting up the stairs. And if you want that steak dinner, this place better be spotless by the time I get back. Sean frowned. What he'd really like to be doing is spending his Saturday with Lassiter, but they had spent the last few days together and his father was already getting suspicious of how he was spending his time. Gus was reluctant to cover for him, still traumatized by his last encounter with Henry. Sean wondered how Lassiter was coping without him. He'd mostly been hanging around at Sean's apartment, and he was a little out of his element without a case to work. Vic had forced him to take two weeks off after he'd been grazed by a gunshot when apprehending a suspect and Sean was learning that Lassiter did not do well without something to keep him occupied. Sean had been doing his best to make sure he didn't have a spare moment, but he'd been unable to get out of coming here. Sean sighed and finally got to work. He packed everything away in the storage boxes his father had left for him. It didn't take as long as he thought it would, and he figured his father was probably right. He could have been done an hour ago if he hadn't spent so much time complaining. But what would have been the fun in that? It only seemed fair his father should suffer, too. He heard the back door and headed up the steps. I'm done, okay, and what is it with the five pairs of bowling shoes? Like you even... Sean broke off when he saw Lassiter standing in the kitchen instead of his father. Sean glanced around in confusion, looking for any sign of Henry. Lassie? What are you doing here? Laster looked as startled as he did. I didn't know you were going to be here. I told you. Sean protested instantly. You said you were going to Ikeanize Pennywise's basement, Alastor said. I asked you what the hell you meant and you were already out the door. Sean shook his head. You're really going to have to learn to speak my language if this is going to work, Lassie, he said. That means I'm going to clean my father's basement, obviously. Obviously, Laster said disbelievingly. The question is, what are you doing here, at my father's house? Sean asked. He invited me, Laster said, for dinner. He said he wanted to thank me for what happened at the Da Lang store yourself. Oh, God, Sean said, going slightly pale. And you fell for that? What do you mean? Laster asked. My father doesn't thank people, not voluntarily. Don't you know what this means? Sean demanded. He knows! How could he know? Laster asked. It's only been four days, and we've spent most of them indoors. Are you kidding? He's the one who taught me everything. He could fake psychic almost as well as me. Sean frowned. It's actually kind of creepy being on this end of it. Is this how it is for you all the time? If you mean annoying, aggravating, and insufferable, then yes, Laster said. That's exactly how it is for me. 
Insufferable? Sean asked and grinned. That's not what you said last night. Sean. Laster started, but Sean was already moving to the door, dragging the detective with him. We'll have to continue this conversation later, because we've got to get you out of here quick, he said. I'll make up some excuse. I'll say you had to go to an NRA convention. That's not till next Wednesday, Laster protested. A knitting convention, then, Sean said. But you've got to go now. He opened the door to shove Laster out, and his father came walking in with a grocery bag. Oh, good. Lassiter, you're here. He was actually just leaving, Sean said quickly. There's been a knitting emergency. A knitting emergency? Henry repeated. Hey, don't judge, Sean said. Everyone needs a hobby. Spencer, Laster snapped. Henry, I do not knit. You don't say, Henry said. He turned to Sean. Is there some reason you don't want Lassiter here, Sean? Sean narrowed his eyes at him. It bothered him that he'd spent the whole afternoon with his father without any indication that he knew. Usually Henry wasn't able to keep out of Sean's life for thirty seconds, let alone an entire day, and Sean didn't know what he was trying to accomplish. Still, he wasn't one to back down from a challenge. Me? he asked. Not at all. Good, Henry said. Did you finish cleaning the basement? It's very organized and dust-free, Sean said. Next time someone gets locked in there, it will be like a visit to a day spa. I disabled the lock, so we don't have to worry about that, Henry said. Why don't you set the table? Sean shoved Lassiter toward the table, pushing him down in a chair like he was part of the table setting, before reaching for the utensils and the plates. I'm going to go put these on the grill, Henry told them. Dinner should be ready in about 30 minutes. You'll keep Detective Lassiter entertained for me, won't you, Sean? Oh, I'll try my best. Sean called after him. Laster opened his mouth to speak after Henry had gone outside, but Sean covered his mouth with his hand before grabbing a napkin and scribbling something on it. He held up the napkin. It said, I think the house may be bugged. Laster rolled his eyes and grabbed the napkin from him. The kitchen isn't bugged, he snapped. You don't know my father, Sean whispered, leaning towards the door to look out where his father was innocently starting the grill. He leaned down to look under the table but he couldn't find any obvious recording devices. Maybe we should just tell him and get it over with, Laster said. He was going to find out eventually. Okay, obviously you haven't been listening, Sean said. He already knows. He's trying to entrap us. Sean tapped his foot against the ground as he tried to plot his next move. He'd called Gus within an hour of his first kiss with Laster to tell him everything, but his father was a different matter entirely. Sean hadn't planned to tell his father, at least until one of them was on their deathbed. It was hard enough keeping Henry out of his life as it was, and he figured this whole thing could go one of two ways. His father could go ballistic, like he had on Keith Andrews, the first boy Sean had ever kissed, a few years older and already driving, quarterback on the football team, and so scared of his father he'd left on a scholarship at the end of the year, and Sean had never heard from him again. Or Lassiter and Henry could become BFFs and make Sean's life a living hell. Oh, this is not going to end well, Sean said. Lassiter caught Sean's wrist when he started to pace to the other side of the kitchen and pulled him back. I thought you said your father knows you've dated guys. Why are you panicking? Because there's knowing and there's knowing, Sean said. Every time I told him about it, he'd listen about as well as when I tried to tell him I didn't want to be a cop. He thought I'd grow out of it. Sean, Lassiter said softly, and Sean stilled. You are grown up relatively. Henry knows that. He knows you. He might surprise you. 
Sean dropped down into the chair beside Lassiter and slammed his head down onto the table. Oh my god, he said. You're so naive. Henry and I have an understanding, Laster said. I think you should let me talk to him. Maybe he does know. But even if he does, it would still be better if we told him. You want to talk to my dad about how you're sleeping with me? Sean asked. I knew you were brave, Lassie. I didn't realize you were suicidal. Laster set his expression and got to his feet. I can do this, he said. I'll be right back. Sean caught Laster's hand as he turned to leave. I promise I'll mourn you, he told him solemnly, but I'm not wearing black. It clashes with my skin tone. Laster rolled his eyes and went outside. He came back in twenty minutes later, looking dazed. Sean got him a glass of water, and Laster resisted the urge to ask for something stronger. That went better than I thought it would. You even still have all your limbs, Sean said. Then again, you didn't actually tell him anything, did you? No, Laster said miserably. He started talking about his gun collection. Usually I love to talk to Henry about guns, but there was this whole different level to it this time, and I think he might have just threatened to kill me if anything ever happens to you. I hope you're seeing the gravity of the situation now, Sean told him. You should have made your escape when you had the chance. Henry pushed his way back inside, holding a plate with steaks. They're done, he said cheerfully. Sean tried to weigh the odds whether his father would stoop to poison. Henry dropped the steaks on the table, but all Sean could spot were the seasonings. Henry pulled some baked potatoes out of the oven that Sean hadn't even seen him put in, and set them on the table by the steaks. It all looked very good, which Sean attributed to his father's recent and worrying obsession with watching Martha Stewart, but he'd kind of lost his appetite. Laster didn't look much better off. Dig in, Henry said, grabbing the largest steak for himself. Laster half-heartedly put one on his plate. Sean didn't even bother with the pretense. He leaned back in his chair and crossed his arms, narrowing his eyes in his father's direction. Well, Sean said, this is not at all awkward. Okay, Sean, you have my attention, Henry said. You want to tell me what's going on with you? You obviously already know, Sean said, and as soon as he said it, he figured out how. Laster hadn't told anyone. Sean had only told one person. I'm guessing you got it out of Gus. What did you do? Bribe him with the pixie sticks? Henry looked like he was going to deny it for about thirty seconds, but then he met Sean's eyes and flashed a grim smile. Ice cream, actually, he said. He caved as soon as I brought out the chocolate sauce and sprinkles. That's low, using sprinkles, Sean said. You know Gus can't resist them. Mr. Spencer, Laster started. Henry pointed at him. I'm talking to my son. No, Sean said, glaring at his dad. You arranged this little ambush that Laster would be here, and if he wanted to say something, then let him say it. Henry dropped his fork and pushed his plate away. Fine, talk, he snapped. The things that Sean could do, well, I'll be honest, he astounds me every day with something new. I've never known anyone like him, Laster said carefully. I care about him a lot. This isn't just some fling. Henry snorted in disbelief. I never thought I'd see it happen, he said. Sean finally got you believing in his nonsense. I thought you were the one person I could count on to look past his little charade. Sean gave a little half-grin and slid lower in his chair, while Laster looked up to glare at Henry. I'm not talking about his psychic abilities. I know he doesn't have any. Laster snapped. I'm talking about what an amazing detective he is. It's true, Sean said. I am an amazing detective. And also, I've got great hair. So it's settled. Hey, did you guys see that Thunderbirds game last night? 
Henry ignored him and looked at Laster like he'd never seen him before. How did you figure it out? I knew Sean wasn't psychic about thirty seconds after meeting him, Laster said, but if you're asking how I got him to admit it, he told me the truth himself. Sean's phone started blaring Mary J. Blige's family affair, which really, how appropriate. It's Gus, he told them, jumping from his chair. Got to take it. Could be important. Sean, Henry snapped, trying to grab Sean as he went by. Sean! Sean deftly sidestepped him and made his way into the living room. He didn't bother with any greetings when he answered the call. You told my dad? What? Gus asked. Sean, where are you? With my father. Who knows? Sean said. I can't believe you told on me. He kept giving me ice cream and chocolate and sprinkles, Sean. It was all very confusing, Gus said. I might have said something about Lassiter. I don't remember. You're like a crack addict, Sean said in disbelief. I'm nothing like a crack addict, Sean, Gus snapped. Everyone likes sprinkles. Well, whatever, Sean said. I need you to have a fake emergency now so I can escape from the dinner from hell. My dad's acting like we're on the set of a Lifetime remake of Leave it to Beaver, and it's really starting to freak me out. There is an emergency, kind of, Gus said. I'm at the office. I think we've got a case. Perfect, Sean grinned. I'll be right there. Sean snapped the phone shut and made his way back into the kitchen. Well, it pains me to cut this evening short, he said, mock regretful. That was Gus, and I've got a case. Laster jumped up. I'll come with you, he added quickly. You might need my help. We're not finished here, Henry snapped, but Sean and Laster were both already out the door. See, Sean said as he hopped on his motorcycle, and Laster wrestled with the door of his crown vic. You're getting the hang of handling my father already. Run at the first available opportunity. I think he was trying to kill me with his eyes, Laster said. You get used to it, Sean assured him. Sean beat Laster to the psych office. Gus was in the entryway when he came in, running salt across the windows with the intense focus of a madman. Sean frowned at him. That's it, Gus, he said. I'm confiscating all of your supernatural DVDs. Enough is enough. Don't even joke, Sean, Gus snapped, turning to glare at him, holding his little can of Morton girl salt like it was the Holy Grail. You know it doesn't hurt to be cautious. What caused this latest break from reality? Sean demanded. Were you watching I Know What You Did Last Summer again? Because I've already told you before. Ryan Felipe is alive and well and living in Hollywood. No, Sean, Gus snapped, and I know what you did last summer was not about ghosts. Everyone knows that salt lines only stop ghosts. It disturbs me that you think that, Sean said. Salt lines don't stop anything, Gus, except maybe ants, and they'd only go around it. I told her new client that I would make this a safe place for her, Gus said in an eerily logical voice considering his first line of dispense was apparently a condiment. Sean leaned past him and noticed a woman sitting on the psych couch, a purse clutched in her hands. There was a slight bruise on her collarbone, pink turning purple. He waved at her, and she waved back uncertainly. "'What's her story?' he asked. A car door slammed, forestalling Gus's response, and he glared as he saw Laster getting out of his crown vic and heading towards the office. "'Oh, great!' Gus snapped. "'What is he doing here?' Come on, Gus. You know Vic made him take a couple of weeks off after he was shot. He's bored, Sean said. You don't bring your boyfriend on a case, Gus hissed. You don't see me bringing a boyfriend to work. 
No, but that probably has more to do with the fact that you're straighter than any set rule, Sean said. A girlfriend. Whatever. You're missing the point, Gus said. I think the problem is that you don't have a point. You don't even have a girlfriend. But if you did, she'd be more than welcome to come along, Sean said. Okay, so it's been a bit of a dry spell, but I have two jobs. Both of them are full-time. You don't have to rub it in, Gus snapped. I'm not, Sean protested. Gus, you're being ridiculous. Laster came in the door and clapped his hands, eyes bright. So what have we got, he asked. He glanced at the salt slipping down the windowsill, but dismissed it as just another inexplicable quirk in what was a very long line of them. Gus haughtily snapped the salt can shut. Why don't you go find out for yourselves, he said, before heading to his desk and sitting down with a flourish. Fine by me, Alaster said, making a beeline for the client. Sean darted after him. Hey, wait, Lassie, let me do the talking. Laster either didn't hear him or was so used to ignoring him he didn't register what he said. He sat across from the woman in Sean's favorite armchair and met her gaze. What seems to be the problem here? he asked. Sean stared at his occupied chair forlornly, while Gus raised one eyebrow in a I-told-you-so way. Sean stuck his tongue out at him, and then sat on the arm of the chair, leaning against Laster's shoulder. "'I apologize for the rudeness of my associate, who you may call Holland Oates,' Sean told her. First, let us make our introductions. I am Sean Spencer, psychic sleuth, former star of American duos, and sometimes model.' I also played Chad in Explosion Gigantesca de Romance. My resume is quite extensive. She brightened a little. Oh my gosh, she said. You are Chad. I thought you were familiar. She reached out to shake his hand. I'm Eveline Graves, and I'm such a fan. I keep hoping they'll bring you back. Something may be in the works, but there's been scheduling conflicts, Sean told her. I always seem to be solving a crime. Spencer, please, Laster said, leaning forwards. "'Miss Graves, what can we help you with?' Eveline sobered at once, and Sean glanced over her. He could see her mascara had run and had been hastily fixed, like she had been crying and didn't have time to entirely reapply it. She was holding onto her purse like it was a security blanket, but she kept glancing behind her, like she expected an attack. Sean had a bad feeling about this one. She obviously had money, with the expensive clothes and that Gucci purse— but beneath the pretty packaging, she had a battered wife written all over her. "'It's my husband, Harvey,' she said haltingly, and Sean winced. Occasionally, he didn't like being right. "'I think—I think he's trying to kill me.' "'I've heard enough,' Laster said, getting abruptly to his feet and nearly knocking Sean off the armchair. "'Ma'am, what you need to do is go to the police.' "'Right.' Sean said, catching his balance and sliding into the vacated chair. Wait, what? No, that's not how. The police can't help me, Evelyn told them. That's why I came here. I assure you, the police deal with instances just like yours all the time, Laster said. I can go with you to file the report if you'd like. You don't understand, she said. There really isn't anything they can do. There's no way they can stop Harvey. And why is that? Laster asked. "'Because, Mr. Oates, my husband is dead,' Eveline said. Lassiter's expression congealed. "'Of course he's dead,' he said, and Sean recognized it as the tone of voice that Laster had used on him right after he'd told him he was psychic. Laster turned, grabbing Sean's arm to haul him up from the chair and drag him across the room. "'Spencer, a word?' "'Ow!' Sean said, twisting out of Laster's grip. 
You know, you don't actually have to drag me everywhere. I'm not your own personal raggedy Andy. Laster crossed his arms, glancing back at Eveline with narrowed eyes. This woman needs serious help. I agree completely, Sean said. You agree? Laster asked, looking bewildered. You're actually agreeing with me? Absolutely, Sean said, and I think we should get started right away. Get started with what? Laster asked. With helping her. Sean clarified. What? No, I, I mean she needs psychiatric help, Spencer. Laster snapped. She thinks a ghost is trying to kill her. Gus thinks ghosts are after him all the time, and also sometimes clowns. You don't see me having him committed, Sean said, glancing over at where Gus was holding his salt can and looking twitchy. Then again, you can't help this woman, Laster said. She needs therapy. You have to know that. Sean looked back at Eveline, running his eyes over her again, seeing everything. No, you're wrong, he said. You're not looking hard enough. Okay, fine, then tell me what you see, or I'm going to go back in there and suggest she get some real help. Laster snapped. You go first, Sean said, returning his attention back to Laster. Tell me what you see first. A nut job, Carlton said. She needs to be in an institution. Your turn. What do you see? Sean closed his eyes. I see someone that's scared, he said. She's wearing a $300 dress, but she didn't bother to button it right, and she's got fingerprint bruises around her neck. She says a ghost is after her, but you have to look past that. Just because a ghost isn't after her doesn't mean that no one is. Laster frowned and glanced back at her. You think someone's really trying to kill her? I don't know, Sean said honestly. But this is how I operate, and we're not at the station, Lassie. Fair enough, Laster said, but I don't like the idea of you playing into this woman's delusions. It's safer than not playing into them, Sean protested. We could go out there and assure her there's nothing to be afraid of, and if we're wrong, she could end up dead. Laster frowned. Ever since the moment Sean had admitted the truth, he had been arguing his point of view in a way that made too much sense, before he could have written him off as a nuisance. But when he laid everything out in a way with logic, it was harder to argue against. Fine, he snapped. Good, Sean said. Now I need you to get me in to see the body. It should still be in the morgue. How do you know? Laster asked. Harvey Graves, Sean said. He was a millionaire, drowned three days ago in his pool. You didn't read about it? Laster frowned. We've spent most of the week in your apartment watching Hill Street Blues reruns. How did you even read about it? Some guy on a park bench was reading about it. I saw it when I walked by, Sean said with a shrug. Laster closed his eyes. Of course you did, he said. You know, sometimes I miss it when you just said you were psychic. It made me feel less incompetent. You're very competent, Sean protested instantly, which is why you're going to get me in to see that body with no trouble at all. Sean grinned and patted Lassiter on the shoulder before heading back to Eveline. He sat back down in the chair and smiled across at her. Sorry about that. Holland has fits sometimes, he explained. We're lucky he didn't break out into song again. It isn't pretty. Eveline nodded uncertainly. Do you think you can help me? I am very in tune with the spirit world, Sean said, wiggling the fingers of one hand besides his temple before shaking his head. But in order to best connect with your husband and determine his purpose, I need to better understand how he died. He drowned, Evelyn said, sniffing into a handkerchief. It was really quite unlike him. He didn't usually go into the pool? Sean asked. Oh, of course, all the time, Eveline said. But to do laps, 
He was religious about it, every single night. Only when they found him, there was a raft in the pool. They said he fell asleep and fell off. Maybe hit his head on the way down. Sean frowned. And you weren't home at the time? he asked. She leaned away from him, and as her purse tilted, he caught sight of a prescription bottle besides a lipstick. He read the label and made a mental note to ask us later what it was. I was, she said. I was asleep. We sleep in different rooms, you understand. Harvey, he snores. Did. Gus had wandered over, half pretending like he wasn't listening, but unable to resist. Who found him? he asked. Our maid, Eveline said. Sani. She was quite distraught. It was somewhat of an overreaction, honestly. She's only been with us two weeks. Sean glanced towards the back of his office, making sure Lassiter's attention was elsewhere. He was still talking into his cell phone, so Sean turned back to Eveline. We would like to stay at your home tonight. Evil spirits have the most power at around midnight, and this is when I will be most able to detect. Gus grabbed Sean's arm and hauled him up. Excuse us for a moment, he said, giving Eveline a wide, frozen grin as he backed himself and Sean away. Okay, seriously, what's with all the manhandling today? Sean demanded. You know I bruise easily. Sean pulled up his sleeve and examined his arm carefully. I can feel it bruising already. You're not going to bruise. I barely touched you. Can we please focus on the problem at hand? He hissed out of the corner of his mouth. I am not going into some haunted mansion, Sean. You went into Haversham's mansion, Sean protested. It was totally haunted. You were the one haunting it, Gus snapped. But you didn't know that. And you were so brave, Gus. I was really proud of you. You didn't cry once, Sean said. My job was on the line then, Gus says. My bravery came entirely from not wanting to end up on the streets. If it'll make you feel better, you can bring as much salt as you want. Pepper, too. Maybe some oregano, Sean said. I'm serious, Sean, Gus said. So am I. Look at her. She's scared, Sean whispered. Man up. Gus studied himself and turned to Eveline. She really did look desperate and scared. He took a deep breath. We would very much like to stay in your home tonight to protect you. Eveline scribbled her address on a piece of paper and leaned over to hand it to Sean. I'll make arrangements with the concierge for your arrival. Please come as soon as you can. She got to her feet, pulling her slipping dress back up over one shoulder. I can't thank you enough for helping me. I didn't know where else to turn. We've got everything under control. I know exactly what I'm doing, Sean said. She nodded and left the office and Sean turned to Gus with a frown. The concierge, that's what, a kind of lounge chair? Oh yeah, you know exactly what you're doing, Gus said wryly. It's a doorman, Sean. That was going to be my second guess, Sean told him. Laster walked over to join them, snapping his cell phone shut. I got us in to see the body, he said. Aren't you on leave? Gus asked. How did you manage that? Laster looked smug. I pulled some strings with my connections in the department, he said. "'And how is Juliet doing?' Sean said. Laster glared at him, but relented. "'She says hi,' he said reluctantly. Sean grinned. "'When can we go?' he asked. "'Now,' Laster said. "'What happened to Miss Graves?' Gus opened his mouth to answer, and Sean quickly elbowed him to cut him off. "'We sent her home. We told her we'd call her with any updates.' Laster nodded and started towards the door. "'Good, then let's go.' Gus grabbed the sleeve of Sean's shirt to hold him back. Lying to the boyfriend already? he asked. What Lassie doesn't know doesn't hurt him, and we need access to that house, Sean said. 
I don't think he'd approve of us staying overnight at La Casa de Graves. I wonder why, Gus said wryly. Probably because it's a monumentally stupid idea, and one we're not prepared for at all. You don't know anything about fighting ghosts. I've seen the Ghostbusters like a million times, Sean said, and then frowned. Now you've got me doing it. Ghosts aren't real. We're looking for a flesh-and-blood murderer. Is that supposed to make me feel better? Gus demanded. Sean seemed uncertain. Yes? Sometime today would be good, Laster yelled at them. We'll finish this discussion later, Gus said, starting for the door. Sean picked up the Morton girl can. You forgot your salt, he called after him. Yep, Sean said. He's definitely dead. Harvey Graves was not a pretty corpse. Not that corpses were generally pretty, but Harvey hadn't started out all that attractive to begin with, and a three-night stay in the morgue hadn't helped him any. Gus looked physically ill, and Sean had to grab his wrist to keep him from fleeing the room. What killed him? Laster demanded. Juliet looked anxious, probably because, technically, she wasn't supposed to let semi-official consultants and off-duty detectives interview a high-profile corpse, even ugly ones. He drowned, she said. The coroner was new, younger than the last, and he looked bored. He was eating peanut butter out of the jar and reading a Sports Illustrated. Sean cleared his throat to try and get everyone's attention on him, but apparently he couldn't compete with the swimsuit edition. I'm sensing some bad juju here, he said. Juliet looked interested, and her curiosity was winning over her anxiousness. What is it, Sean? Sean brought his hands to his head and squinted, running his eyes over the body. The body was translucent white, the lips tinted blue. He saw a bruise around the upper arm, and it looked like how he imagined his arm was going to look at the end of the day, from all of Laster and Gus's dragging him around. Sean focused in on an open manila folder that was laid out beside the coroner. He ran his eyes over it quickly and latched onto one word. Sean spun so his back was to them, and pulled Gus with him. "'What is Zolpidem?' he whispered. "'It's Ambien,' Gus said. Sean nodded, then leaned close again. "'What's Ambien?' he asked. "'It's to help people sleep, Sean,' Gus whispered in irritation. Sean stepped back up to the body, framing his hands around the man's head without touching him. "'I'm sensing something. He had Ambien in his system.' Sean said, pulling away with a gasp. But he didn't have a prescription for it. His wife did. Juliet frowned, grabbing the report to glance through it. Why weren't we informed of this? She asked. It was going to be in my report, the coroner said uninterestedly. Sean read his name tag. His name was Dave, but he was not super at all. The dose was negligible. It wouldn't have killed him, Dave finished. Thus, cause of death, drowning. It wouldn't have killed him alone, no. Sean said, backing away from the body. But it may have been just enough to keep him from waking up when he went under the water. Sean pressed his eyes shut. I can see it. Someone was dragging him outside, then helped him down on the raft. He was drowsy. They pushed him into the middle of the pool, waited for him to slip off and under, maybe even helped him down. It isn't clear. It's like I'm seeing it through his eyes. Everything's blurred, like I'm underwater. Lassie! Sean grabbed onto Lassiter clutching the sides of his suit jacket and hiding his face in his neck. Harvey Graves was murdered! Juliet frowned. Are you sure? Sean swayed against Laster in exhaustion and nodded tiredly. Harvey Graves swam laps every night. 
It was the only reason he ever got in the pool. Who would take a sleeping pill before going out to swim laps? Laster nodded, turning to Dave, who was licking peanut butter off his spoon. I need you to run a full toxicology. Carlton, Juliet interrupted. You're not here officially. She turned to the coroner. I need you to run a full toxicology report. I want to know exactly how much Zolpidin he had in his system, not this cursory overview you've done. Dave sighed and screwed the top back on his peanut butter. Yeah, fine, he said. Gus was the first to leave, disappearing from the room like a jackal. Juliet followed him out, and Laster went after her, with Sean still hanging on to him. Juliet watched them with a frown. You two have been acting very strangely, she said. Is there something I should know? Yes, actually, Sean said, straightening up. Laster and I are a couple now. We're shacking up, making the beast with two backs, doing that crazy little thing called love. We're going to send out Christmas cards together and everything. Right, Juliet said disbelievingly, before turning on her heel and walking away. Sean turned to Lassiter. Why is it that before we were dating, everyone thought we were sleeping together, and now that we're sleeping together, no one will believe we're dating? Who believes anything you say either way? Lassiter asked. Most people, actually, Sean said. You'd be surprised the crazy things I can get people to believe. Lassiter sighed. "'Sadly, that's probably true,' he said. "'But are you sure about Graves? "'I thought he was our suspect, and now you're saying he's the victim?' "'Don't be Gus. He's dead. He was never a suspect,' Sean said. "'But yes, Harvey Graves is one of those Fortune 500 types. "'He wouldn't take Ambien, wouldn't want to be out of control. "'Those pills belong to Eveline. I saw the bottle in her purse.' "'You think she killed him?' Laster asked. "'And the guilt's getting to her?' Sean shook his head. No, he said. She's the one that helped me realize something was off about Graves' death. She wouldn't have provided evidence to incriminate herself, even if she was going crazy with guilt. She would have kept that part out of it. Okay, but we still need to talk with her, Laster said. If it wasn't her, it was probably someone that had access to the pills. We need to see if she noticed any missing. Whoa there, Lassie. Slow down, Sean said. You work for me right now. I've got this. What I need you to do is to go find out everything you can about Harvey Graves, and then report back. Laster frowned. Wait, is this what you've been doing all this time? Sending Guster off to research and then having a miraculous psychic vision? He demanded. Yes, Sean said. I know it's an honor to be a part of my process. Try not to be so odd that your work ethic suffers. Laster sighed. What are you going to be doing? He asked. I'm going to question Eveline some more. Sean said. Maybe sneak around her house a little. Check the underwear drawers. The bathroom cabinets. Under the sink. The usual. Laster rolled his eyes and caught Sean's wrist as he stepped away to tug him back, discreetly brushing his lips across his forehead in a chaste kiss. Be careful, he said gruffly. I'm always careful, Sean said. You're never careful, Laster said. Last time I took my eyes off you for two seconds, you went to meet a murderer with Buzz for backup. Buzz is awesome backup, Sean said defensively. Did you know he's the five-time runner-up at SAR? What the heck is that? Laster asked. Laser tag, Sean said excitedly. Seriously, you've never played? Gus will never play paintball with me because he doesn't like getting dirty, so we compromised on laser tag. And it is awesome. You're talking about a game? How exactly does that qualify anyone for anything? Laster demanded. Laser tag, gunfights, it's all the same, Sean said. It's nothing like the same, Laster snapped. Sean frowned. 
How did we get on the subject of laser tag? You were using that to try and convince me the buzz was good backup, Laster said. But you said he was runner-up. He didn't even win the damn thing. Who is the champion? Some twelve-year-old nerd? Actually, it's me, Sean said and grinned. So you should really worry less. I can take care of myself. Spencer, Laster said, caught a little by surprise, and Sean was already out the door, chasing after Gus and Juliet. Gus was waiting at the car when Sean came out of the morgue. He had his arms crossed, and Sean didn't think he looked very happy. Okay, what now? he demanded as he pulled open the passenger side door. Are you still upset that I arranged a slumber party with a bunch of murder suspects? What happened to my candy, Sean? Gus demanded. You know I like to have red vines in the glove box for when I'm stressed, and they're all gone. I donated them to a good cause, Sean said. Gus did not look appeased. So Sean let out a sound of frustration and turned to face him. Look, if we survive the night, I will buy you more red vines. Does that make you feel better? No, it doesn't make me feel better, Gus snapped. What do you mean, if we survive the night? Did I say that part out loud? Sean asked with a frown. I meant after we survive the night, obviously. Gus glared at him some more, but got into the driver's seat in a huff. You know, what's the point of you sleeping with some gun-toting detective if you're not going to keep him around for protection? Guns are generally not the kind of protection I'm concerned with when it comes to Lassiter, Sean said. He's my boyfriend, not my bodyguard. I'm just saying, Gus said. I thought he was going to help on this case. Maybe you should go with him. I could do research. I've got Lassiter doing the research, Sean protested. You need to learn the proper way to delegate, Sean, Gus snapped. You take the man with the gun as backup. You send me to do the research so that I don't get killed. If that's what you want... Sean said easily. You're being really grown up about this. I'm impressed, Gus. Really, I am. I thought you might get a little self-conscious that Laster was going to take your place as my partner. But if I'd known you'd be this obliging, I would have suggested that I go with him. In fact, maybe I'll just... As soon as Sean went for his cell phone, Gus ripped it out of his hands. That's not what I meant, he snapped. I'm your partner, not Lassiter. Exactly, Sean said, taking the phone back. You're my partner, so let's go solve a murder. What do you say? Fine, Gus said and started the car. But you owe me three packs of red vines. You got it, buddy, Sean said. Where is this place anyway? Gus asked. Padaro Lane, Sean said, unfolding the address that Eveline had written down for them. Padaro Lane? Gus echoed disbelievingly. Are you serious? Only very rarely, Sean said. But yes, that's what it says. Gus was looking more at ease. Okay, okay, that's okay then. Those places are mansions, Sean. Very high-end. I bet there's nothing creepy about that place at all. That's the spirit, Sean said. Pun entirely intended. What pun? Gus asked. Spirit, Sean said. You know, like, never mind, the moment is gone. Turn here. Gus made the turn with a frown. How do you even know where Padaro Lane is? He demanded. I was living Manny here for like three weeks once, Sean said. No way, Gus said. Okay, so it was three days, Sean said. How was I supposed to know it was a bad idea to let kids stay up all night watching the Twilight Zone? Common sense? Gus asked. You know my sense isn't common, Gus, Sean said. 
I can't believe people actually trusted you with kids, Gus said. Kids love me, Sean said. Little Skylar still writes. He's in junior high now. Can you believe it? They grow up so fast. Gus looked disturbed. Well, whatever. Is this place close or what? Turn right, Sean said without looking up. About ten minutes down this road, you're going to see a giant stone wall that looks fit for Camelot. Sean leaned back in his seat and closed his eyes. He knew they had arrived when he heard Gus's startled intake of breath. I want to live here, Sean, Gus said. Sean leaned forward, running his eyes over the mansions. They looked more like museums, he snorted. Please, they're not all they're cut out to be, he said. How would you know? Gus demanded. I lived here for three days, Gus. Pay attention, Sean said. It was too big. I kept getting lost. Everyone communicated by intercom. Give me a little house by the beach any day. Then why did you want to stay here so bad? Gus asked. Because I think our killer is someone that lives here, Sean said. We need to see them there together. We need to see how they interact. I need to touch things. Look in closets. The usual. The house is bigger. The M.O. remains the same. I don't see why we have to spend the whole night there for that, Gus protested. Because the house is bigger. I don't know how long we'll need. Sean pointed at one of the houses. There, that's the one. Gus eyed it appreciatively. There was a large steel gate closing off the driveway, painted black with gold leaves wound round the spires. Gus leaned forward to hit the intercom, and the gate started opening on its own before he could touch it. He turned to glare at Sean. That gate is opening on its own. That's because it's automatic, Sean said and pointed to a security camera, and someone's probably waiting for us. Gus carefully drove up the driveway. The house was bigger than the Santa Barbara police station, and three stories at least. The exterior consisted of clean gray cobblestones, with vines crawling up the sides. This doesn't look so bad, Gus said, cheering up a little as he got out of the car. Yeah, this place definitely isn't haunted. It's properly landscaped and everything. Sean followed Gus out of the car, and was about to agree when something made him look up. The fluffy white standard-issue Santa Barbara clouds were growing darker by the minute, and it wasn't just a result of the lowering sun. Sean kept an eye on Gus out of the corner of his eye, hoping he didn't notice, as he led the way up the front steps. Gus reached out to swing the brass door knocker. It was molded to look like some kind of monster with a mustache, or possibly just someone really old. As it swung back to knock against the door, the sky opened, raining down on them in sudden torrents. Gus pulled his hand away from the knocker in disbelief. Okay, so that's a little weird, Sean admitted, but it doesn't mean anything. The door was pulled open, a black-lit figure staring down at them in disdain. The man was wearing an old tuxedo bow tie resting at his throat. He looked to be well over six feet tall, thin as a rail, and pushing a hundred at least. Sean watched him, expecting him to intone the words, You rang? Gus looked frozen in place, but Sean supposed that was better than running away. You must be Mr. Spencer and Mr. Guster, the man said, but it was a quiet, unassuming kind of voice, and it failed to meet Sean's expectations. Yes, we are, Sean said, and we appear to be getting wet. Of course, sirs, come in, the man said, stepping out of the way. Aldous Matthias Seventh, at your service. Seventh, huh? Sean asked, running a hand through his hair, droplets raining down onto the tile floor of the entryway. How does that work exactly? You just keep naming your kids the same thing until you run out of numbers? I don't have any children of my own, sir, 
I have dedicated my life to the graves, he said. I am the last Aldous Matthias. I'm sorry to hear that, Sean said. Do you mind if I call you Alfred? I do, sir, Aldous said. If you will excuse me, I will find Miss Graves. Please wait here. Sean nodded vaguely as Aldous left and then started to wander off. Gus reached out to grab him. He said to wait here, Sean, Gus said. He said please. Please implies suggestion, Sean said, trying to pull away, but Gus had a death grip on him. Dude, chill. You don't think any of this is at all odd? Gus demanded. We're having a storm, Sean, in Santa Barbara, in August, and the butler looks like a cousin of the Adams family. Don't be so melodramatic. It's nearly September, and anyway, it's just a little rain. It hardly qualifies as a storm, Sean told him. There was a large crash as a branch slammed into a window, rain pounding against it. Okay, so maybe it's a little windy too, Sean said. Do you think it's raining everywhere, or just at this house? Gus asked nervously. Can you even hear yourself? Sean asked. I'm so glad you're both here. Sean looked up at the voice. Eveline was at the top of the stairs, carefully making her way down. Sean noticed the way she was holding onto the rail so tight that her knuckles were white. She'd traded the boots she had on earlier for a pair of black ballet flats, and he frowned as he noticed the red line across her right ankle and the fainter matching mark on her left. Please, she said, come with me. Let's have a drink. Evelyn led them to a kind of hybrid office and library and walked to a wet bar in the corner. What do you boys have? she asked. We don't drink on the job, Gus said quickly, but we'll have a couple Shirley Temples if you have some grenadine. Shirley Temples? Sean echoed. Seriously, when did you turn into a ten-year-old girl? Make that to Roy Rogers instead, Gus said before turning to Sean. Is that better? Not significantly, Sean said. Eveline looked bemused, but she nodded. Coming right up, she said. She mixed the drinks and then handed one to each of them. Sean bit at the straw for a minute before sucking up half the drink all at once. This is pretty good, he admitted. You got that right, Gus said enthusiastically. This is some grade A grenadine. Evelyn sat down in an armchair, holding a whiskey for herself. Crazy weather, isn't it? Gus nodded. Does it rain here a lot? He asked haltingly. In Santa Barbara? Not usually, she said. At least not in the summer. Are you new here, Mr. Guster? Actually, he's lived here all his life, Sean said distractedly as he walked over to the large fireplace at the back wall. There was a portrait hanging above it of a beautiful young girl. She was giving a kind of wry half-smile, a spark in her blue eyes. Her blonde hair had been curled to make her look like she was a starlet from the twenties, but the portrait was only dated 1994. That was Harvey's sister, Eveline told them, when she saw what had drawn his attention. She died very young, before Harvey and I met. I don't think he ever quite got over it. Sean stared at the portrait, eyes narrowing. Someone had scratched a single word across the bottommost edge in very small print, from one end to the other, over and over. Holly, 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 holly. After a moment, he turned away. Her name was Holly, Sean said. Yes, it was, Eveline said, seeming impressed. She leaned forward. I would have liked to have met her, but she was very troubled. He didn't like to talk about it but I always had the impression she had taken her own life. "'When did you meet Harvey?' Sean asked. 
Oh, my, at least fifteen years ago now, I guess, she said. It's so hard to recall. It's so painful to think about. But you don't miss him, of course, Sean said. Gus spun to glare at him, but Eveline just shrugged. I won't lie. Harvey was a horrible man. He cared for nothing but himself, and I was just the trophy wife. Don't be surprised, she said, noting their expressions at the blunt admission. I have no illusions about what I was, but in my defense, I was only twenty when I met him. I had no idea what I was getting into. Why is it that you think Harvey would want to kill you? Sean asked. You're probably wondering how I got these bruises, she said, looking up. I wasn't, actually. I know you fell down the stairs, Sean said. Eveline raised an eyebrow. You are worth every penny, Mr. Spencer, she said. That's very close to the truth. Only I didn't fall. I was pushed. I was very disoriented right after, but I recall hearing someone whispering, someone saying I had to die too. I even felt the hand at my throat. And do you think it was your husband? Sean asked. I know how it sounds, she said, but I don't really feel like he's gone. Things go missing. Things that I get rid of reappear. My pearl earrings, there were nowhere to be found, but Harvey's cufflinks, the one I donated to charity, they appeared back on my dresser just last week. If anyone would be capable of sticking around after death just to make my life miserable, it would be Harvey. He always told me I wouldn't ever be rid of him. Sean nodded. I think we should get to work, Eveline, he said. It's getting late, and whatever spirits may be here, they should be showing soon. Eveline got to her feet. What do you need me to do? she asked. How can I help? All we need you to do is go get some well-deserved sleep, Sean said. We're going to take care of everything. Eveline smiled at him tiredly. Thank you, both of you, she said, before turning to the intercom and activating it. Aldous, can you please come show our guests their rooms? What did I tell you? Sean whispered. It's all intercoms all the time. It's like rich people haven't even heard of phones. Good night, gentlemen, Eveline said. If you need anything, anything at all, Aldous and Sonia are both at your disposal, as am I. Eveline left the room to head back up the stairs, and Sean followed her out of the room. Aldous was coming from another hall, his expressionless face aimed about three inches to the side of them at all times. If you would please follow me, he said. Sean started to step forward when the divinals started saying, I touch myself, from somewhere in the region of his pants. Gus's eyes had widened in horror, and Sean scrambled to grab his cell phone while Aldous looked on indifferently. I have to take this call, Sean said, with as much dignity as he can muster. It sounds important. He stepped away from Aldous and Gus, heading back towards the front door. He saw the monitor that had been set up beside the door, showing the front gate. There was a car parked outside it. Lassie? Sean asked, answering the call. Where are you? Laster demanded. I'm still at Eveline's, Sean said. But you know that, because you're parked outside her front gate, staring at Gus's car. Seriously? How'd you do that? Laster demanded. Give a wave, Sean said. I can see you on the security monitor. Laster heaved a sigh. We had plans tonight, you know, he said. We can meet up tomorrow. Eveline needs us here, Sean said. We're ghost hunting. Well, Gus is ghost hunting. Mostly I'm here for the ridiculously opulent surroundings and the endless supply of Roy Rogers. Why didn't you tell me you were planning this? Laster demanded. You would have tried to stop me, Sean said easily. I wouldn't have tried. I would have stopped you, Laster said. Then why are you surprised I didn't tell you? Sean asked. 
Get out of there right now, Spencer, he said. You're the one that told me you think that someone's really trying to kill her. Someone is, Sean said, which is why Gus and I are acting as her bodyguards. Oh, great, so it'll end up in a double homicide instead, Lester snapped. Not to get bogged down with petty details, but there's three of us, Sean said. Wouldn't that be a triple homicide? No, Guster will probably be fine, because I expect he's going to run at the first sign of trouble, Laster said. He's the only one of you with sense. Touché, Sean said. I promise I'll be careful. Damn it, Spencer, Laster said. Why do you have to do this? Well, who else is there? Sean asked. Fine, Laster snapped. But you need anything, you call me. I'll come right there. Okay, but I really don't think you've thought this through. Your back is going to give you problems all week if you stay in that car all night. What? How did you know I was going to stay here? Please don't insult me, Sean said. I left some snacks for you in the glove box. Don't fill up on red vines. Sean hung up and turned back towards Gus and Aldis. Aldis remained unremoved, but Gus was definitely glaring at him. If you are ready, sir, Aldis said. Call me Sean, Alfred, he said. This sir stuff kind of freaks me out. Of course, sir, Aldis said, and turned to lead them up the stairs. Sean and Gus followed him up, and Sean examined the steps carefully. He saw a few drops of blood around the middle, and when they reached the second floor, he noticed there was a small hole on either side of the top step, like someone had set up a tripwire with a pair of tracks. The lights are all in motion sensors, Aldis told them, just as the hallway in front of them started lighting up one segment at a time. They will come on and go off on their own. That's amazing, Gus said, waving his hand at the wall experimentally. I can't even see them. They're in the crown molding, Sean said distractedly. Aldous stopped halfway down the massive hallway. He pointed down the rest of the way, where Sean could just make out a pair of huge black double doors. That is where Miss Graves sleeps, he said, before pointing to the two doors on each side of the hallway where they had stopped. These rooms will be yours. Use the intercom if you need anything. Aldous disappeared back down the hall, the lights flickering on and off after him as he went. Okay, I get first pick of the rooms, Gus said. You can have them both if you want. We're not going to be sleeping, Gus, Sean said. We're here to investigate. I can't stay up all night, Sean, Gus protested. I need a good six hours at least. You know I get sleepy. Come on, tough it out. I'll make you another Roy Rogers, Sean said. And hey, guess what? I was right. The murderer is someone in the house. How can you be sure? Gus demanded. We just got here. Because someone had a tripwire set up on the stairs. That's why Eveline fell down them, Sean said. Oh, oh, dude, I think the butler did it. He's like 185, Gus said. Don't be ageist, Sean said. How could someone fall down the stairs because of a tripwire and not even notice, Gus demanded. Same way someone could fall off a float in a pool and not wake up, Sean said. She takes Ambien when she sleeps, hears a noise, comes to investigate, but she's not completely awake. Next thing she knows, she's on the ground at the bottom of them with someone hovering over her. Why wouldn't they have finished her off? Gus demanded. They had her alone. Same reason they set a tripwire on the stairs instead of pushing her, Sean said. So they wouldn't have to do it themselves. Someone tried to strangle her, Gus, but they couldn't do it. They probably don't even think they're murdering anyone. In their minds, they're just arranging accidents. So they're psychotic as well. That's good to know, Gus said stiffly. 
I'll be leaving now. Sean waved a hand, turning on the lights in the hall behind them. Ooh, look at the pretty lights, Gus. Don't you want to go exploring in the house and watch them come on? You seriously think that's going to tempt me? Gus demanded. Honestly, I'm not sure what to do with you anymore, Sean said. I know I'm supposed to be the crazy one, but it's like you're trying to beat 20 years of my craziness all in one night. I think your chances are good, by the way. I'm not crazy for being nervous around a murderer, Sean, Gus snapped. You're the one that's crazy for not being worried. Yeah, but you think the murderer is Casper, Sean protested. Everyone knows Casper was a friendly ghost, Gus said. I'm talking about the spirit of Harvey Graves. There was a flash of white light behind Gus, and Sean went very still, hoping he hadn't noticed. Was that lightning? Gus demanded. It's just a faulty motion sensor, probably. Don't be ridiculous, Sean said, which was right about when the thunder started. I'm getting out of here, Sean, Gus said. Don't you ever watch horror movies? We're expendable. Everyone knows it's only the pretty girl that lives. Evelyn will probably just be fine. Okay, I'll give you that the freak storm is a little weird, Gus, but it's just bad luck. Sean said. You know what they say about superstition. It makes an ass out of you and me. That's assume, Gus said, because it's ass you me. Huh, Sean said. That does make more sense. But regardless, I've heard it both ways. You have not, Gus protested. Okay, fine. But that's why I need you, Gus. You have, like, these whole hidden depths of trivial information. You pay attention to the stuff that I don't. Gus seemed hesitant. Okay, but my usual rules apply. No entering a room first or last, no searching for fuse boxes, and you want a weapon if I'm going to leave you alone, Sean said. Of course you understand that there being only two of us, you will actually have to decide whether you want to enter the room first or last, and the only weapon I have is this little green toy soldier that I found in my pocket. Sean held the toy soldier out, Gus eyed it dubiously for a moment, and then snatched it out of Sean's hands. We'll alternate. You go first, then I'll go first. Deal, Sean said. He looked back towards Eveline's room. What time is it? It's like 9.45, Gus said. I bet the maid's still awake, Sean said. We need to talk with her. I'll find us an intercom, Gus said. Forget the intercom, Gus, Sean said. We need to see her face to face. I need to judge her reaction to my questions. Come on. How do you know where to go? Gus asked. What makes you think I know where I'm going? He asked. Our job is to snoop around. It's better this way. We might stumble on something that breaks this whole case. Or we could get lost, never to be heard from again, Gus said. Because that happens so often in the wealthy suburbs of Santa Barbara, Sean said. People go missing in their houses all the time. You're the one that said it was easy to get lost, he protested. Yes, but I didn't mean to imply that I got stranded in their billiards room and started to refer to one of the cue balls as Wilson. He said, you're fine. Stop obsessing. Do you have any samples of anti-anxiety meds? I'm not taking drugs, Sean, Gus snapped. I was going to suggest you give them to me, Sean said. You're kind of stressing me out. He started down the stairway. There were little blue lights at the edge of the stairs, like the kind they had in movie theaters, and they came on each time they went to the next step. I'm telling you, this place is spooky, Sean. I don't like it, Gus snapped. It isn't spooky. This is technology. Come on, Gus, you love this stuff, Sean protested. We should totally get motion sensor lights for the office. Yeah, we can put them up where you had the zip line that lasted all of ten days, Gus said. I had to take it down. You know that. I was nearly decapitated, Sean said. They reached the bottom of the stairs, and the entryway lights came on by themselves. 
Gus grabbed Sean's sleeve to tug him to the wall across from the stairs. It's a map, he said. Sean looked at the wall. It was a map of the house, one of those kinds that had the little red arrow that said, You are here. Is this place for real? Sean asked. When did we end up at Arden Fair? Quiet, Sean, Gus said. Look for the exit. I think the exit is the giant front door right there, Sean said, pointing a few feet away. No, what we want is the kitchen. I want to keep the exit in sight, Sean, Gus said, and it's almost ten at night. What would she be doing in the kitchen? Eveline said she was very upset about Harvey's death, Sean said. I doubt she'd want to be locked away alone in her room. There's probably not that many areas in the house open to her. It looks like it's right down that hall. You go first, he said, shoving Sean in front of him. Okay, but that means you have to go last, Sean said. Don't remind me, he snapped. If I die, Sean, I'm going to haunt you. You know that, right? Like Patrick Swayze and Ghost? Sean asked. Like Kathleen Mackey and Gothica, Gus said. That's a little obscure. I would have gone with the creepy girl from the ring, personally, Sean said. You'd get more widespread recognition. You're the only one here, Gus said, and you've seen Gothica like 80 times. Can you blame me, Gus? Sean said. Halle Berry. Wet. Enough said. You know that's right. But I didn't think Halle Berry was your type. Well, it's got Robert Downey Jr., too. I'm an equal opportunity oogler, Sean said. It's down here, Gus said, grabbing Sean to keep him in front of him like a shield. You go first. I thought we were alternating, Sean said. I changed my mind, Gus said. Sean rolled his eyes and pushed his way into the kitchen. The lights inside were already on, and Sean scanned the room. There were bowls of chocolate pudding covering almost every surface, and a young woman in her early twenties was sitting cross-legged on the only empty space left on the counter, stirring like mad. She looked up when they walked in, and her eyes were a little wild. Sean pulled to a stop, and Gus slammed into his back. Sonny, right? Sean said cautiously. Sean Spencer, this is my partner, Winston Zedmore. Eveline called us in to help. Sonny had her long brown hair pulled back in a bun, and most of it had come loose to fall around her face, and she had cocoa powder down the front of her dress, and in a streak across her forehead. Oh, hi, she said, smiling brightly. Yes, I'm Sonny. Do you want some pudding? Sean glanced around. Oh, are you sure there's enough? he asked dryly. Oh, plenty. I can't stop making it. I've been making it since three o'clock, she said. It makes me feel better. Please sit down. Gus and Sean sat down at the bar stools at the counter, and Sonny went to the cupboard to pull down two bowls. She dished them up chocolate pudding before climbing back up to sit on the counter. I'm glad you're here, she said. You're some kind of psychic, right? I think I read about you in the papers, I, except I thought your partner was Bruton Gaster. It's Burton Guster, Gus said quickly. Oh, well, what happened to him? she asked. We don't like to talk about that, Sean told her before Gus could intercede. It's just me and Winston here now. So what are you here to do exactly? Sonny asked. We're looking into Harvey's death, as well as the attempts on Eveline's life, Sean said. Would you mind answering a few questions for us? Sure, she said. I'm grateful for the company, actually. She pulled the wooden spoon from the bowl and absentmindedly started licking the pudding off. Gus made a face and pushed his own bowl away from him. Sean brought a hand to his head. I'm sensing a deep connection between you and Harvey, he said. He and his wife have separate rooms. I can see you going into his room late at night. I brought him tea sometimes, Sonny said, leaning forward. Is that what you see? 
No, not exactly, Sean said, his train of thought derailing. You were— Yes, I see it now. You were sleeping with him. You gross, she said, pushing away from him. He was like seventy-five. He was fifty-one, Gus said. Well, that's kind of the same thing, isn't it? She asked. I wouldn't ever have slept with him. Not for a million dollars. But Eveline told us how upset you were, Sean protested. Sonny froze, her hand tightly gripping the spoon. I'd never found a dead body before, that's all. No one likes to see a dead body. She's got a point there, Gus said. But that's not what it was, Sean said. You're hiding something. I saw her, Sonny said after a moment. I saw her standing over the body. Eveline? Gus asked, getting to his feet. Sonny shook her head. No, the ghost, Sonny said. She haunts this place. She wants to kill us all. I thought Harvey Graves was the ghost, Sean asked. That's what Miss Graves says, but she's wrong, Sonny said. This ghost has been here since I started working here, but they wouldn't ever believe me. Mr. Graves was the first victim. That's all. I saw her with my own eyes. Why didn't you tell anyone this? Gus asked. If you saw the murderer... But I didn't, Mr. Zedmore. What I saw was a ghost. That's the whole problem, Sonny said. She was standing there looking down at the body, but it was dark. She was wearing this torn white dress. I looked away for a second, and when I looked back, she was gone. It wasn't the first time I saw her, you understand. I've seen her before. This is a mad place. I'm leaving as soon as I find somewhere else. Sean got to his feet with a frown. Well, thank you for your help, Sonny, he said. If we have any more questions... You know where to find me, she said. I'm going to start making some butterscotch pudding now. I don't have enough of that. Right. Well, you have fun with that, Sean said, before tugging Gus back out into the hall. Gus looked disturbed. Do I sound like that? He asked. I mean, I don't act like that, right? Not at all, Sean said easily. She's handling things much better than you. Gus glared at him. You can joke, but I think you owe me an apology, don't you? For what? Gus asked. It is a ghost after all, Gus said. That's all you took away from that conversation? Sean asked. All this does is take Sonny off my suspects list, so it's back to the butler. Yes, the butler did it. Stop saying that, Gus said. You just like saying the butler did it. You haven't got any evidence. Since when have I needed evidence to leap to a conclusion? Sean demanded. I think you should think real hard about what she told us, because if she's right, we could be dealing with more than one ghost. This is like a supernatural epicenter, Gus said. Oh my god, maybe we're on a hellmouth. That's it. I'm changing the parental controls on your television, Sean said. You're no longer allowed to watch anything but cartoons. Wait, scratch that. I wouldn't want you to start drawing tunnels on walls and then running into them. Let's just cut out the TV altogether. You need to take this seriously, Sean, Gus snapped. You're the one comparing our situation to that of the residents of Sunnydale, and I'm not taking this seriously? Sean asked. Gus opened his mouth to protest, and Sean's phone started ringing again, blaring out, When I feel down, I want you above me. Gus grabbed Sean's phone before he could answer it, and looked down at the caller ID. Lassiter? This is the ringtone you have for Lassiter? Well, it was hardly going to be Henry, was it? Sean demanded, trying to grab his phone back. This could be important, Gus. Lassie's outside watching the place. Lassiter's here? Gus demanded. What the hell, Sean? What happened to all that? We're partners. Gus, it's you and me, Gus. Nothing has changed. It's just us in here, just like old times, Sean said. No, it's not. 
Gus snapped, and I can't believe you made your laster ringtone I'd touch myself. Could you be more obvious? And you thought your dad wasn't going to find out. But I've had this ringtone for Lassie for months, Sean protested. You're the only one that thinks there's some hidden meaning to it. The meaning's not exactly hidden, Gus snapped. That's my whole point. Okay, come on then, Sean said. Let's have this out. Have what out, Gus demanded. You've been acting strangely since I told you Lassie and I were together, Sean snapped. This has nothing to do with that. I always act strangely, Gus protested hotly. Gus and Sean both paused as they replayed what he had said. That's not what I meant. I know you, Gus, and you've always been the one that's in a relationship, Sean said. It's always been me that ends up the third wheel, and you can't stand it the other way around, can you? Sean, you know what? Whatever. Stay here. Get your six hours of sleep. I don't care, Sean said, grabbing his phone from him. He glanced down at it, but Laster had given up, and the screen announced one missed call. I'm going to go investigate a murder. Sean! Gus snapped, but Sean ignored him and started down the hall. He thought about calling Lassie back, but he wanted a moment to clear his head. He looked behind him, but Gus hadn't followed him. Gus had probably taken this as an opportunity to get in his car and leave Sean here. Sean didn't know if he'd blame him for that or not. The lights kept coming on as he went down the hall, but the ones behind him kept going back out. There were portraits framed on the walls of both sides, old paintings of people that all had the last name of Graves. Sean thought it strange that so far he hadn't come across a single door. He bit his lip and closed his eyes, picturing the map of the house that Gus had found in his mind. He overlaid what he knew of the house over the map and realized that this hall wasn't on it. One of the lights snapped on in the hallway about twenty feet down from him, and Sean squinted down to see what had set it off. A woman in a torn white dress was standing there, half-lit, blonde hair loose and falling down to cover most of her face. Sean swallowed and then stepped forward cautiously. Hello? He said quietly. She turned the corner the moment he spoke, and Sean took off running after her. Hey! Wait! Before Sean could reach her, the light snapped back off. He turned the corner to follow her, but that whole hallway was dark, and he couldn't make anything out. He kept running after her anyway, and he was halfway down the hall when he realized it was pitch black. None of the motion sensor lights had activated in this hallway, and all the ones he'd left behind had gone out. Sean leaned down with his hands on his knees to catch his breath, and then cautiously started heading back. He felt his way along the hall and pulled out his cell phone, using the light from the display screen to light the way. Then he dialed Lassiter. "'Sean, where the hell are you?' Laster yelled. "'I've been trying to call you.' "'Yeah, sorry about that,' Sean said. "'Gus and I were fighting. "'Where are you? What's going on?' Laster asked. "'Nothing. I'm fine,' Sean said. "'Lassie, I need to know how Harvey's sister died.' "'Harvey Graves didn't have a sister,' Laster said. "'Holly Graves,' Sean said. "'You didn't find anything on a holly? A death? It would have been about fifteen years ago.' "'Sorry, Sean, no,' Laster said. "'I went through this guy's whole life. He was definitely an only child. Why do you ask?' "'Because I just saw her,' Sean said dazedly, dropping his hand with the phone down to his side as he ended the call. He took a deep breath putting one hand on the wall. The LCD screen of the phone was only lighting a small circular area around him, spanning all of half a foot, and his battery was flickering, clutching desperately to its last bar. He was going to have to go back for reinforcements, a flashlight, and maybe Sonny, because she would probably be better backup than Gus. As though summoned by thought, Gus appeared at the end of the hall, backlit like some kind of avenging angel, arms crossed and glaring. "'What the hell are you doing down there in the dark, Sean?' He snapped. 
Sean was at a loss how to respond, having not realized that the next working motion sensor light was all of three feet in front of him. I'm investigating, he said defensively, which is more than can be said of you. Sean's cell phone light flickered and went out as the battery finally gave out, and he snapped it shut and stuck it in his pocket before walking over to join Gus. I came all the way down this spooky hallway to find you, Gus snapped. You're the one that flounced off in a huff. I do not flounce, Sean said. I wouldn't even know how to flounce. Sometimes I skip, but only rarely. I might do a little hopscotch, a tiny little shimmy, but never a flounce. You flounce, Sean, Gus said firmly. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Sean demanded. What's wrong with you? Why does my relationship with Lassiter bother you so much? I'm not doing this with you again, Gus said. No, you don't get to do that, Sean said. Just tell me what... It's because he's a guy, Gus shouted. Sean looked like he'd been struck. Wow, really? I expect better of you, Gus. And anyway, you should be the last person to judge anyone's sexuality. Ninety-five percent of your wardrobe is pastel. No, it's not. Gus looked frustrated. I don't care that he's a guy. It's just that if you just had a girlfriend, she'd be dragging you out to chick flicks in the opera, and you'd have to come with me to do guy stuff. But it's Lassiter, so you don't need me to do guy stuff anymore. Is that what you're worried about? Really? Sean asked. Gus, that's ridiculous. Laster wants me to do stuff with him that I don't want to do all the time. He watches the History Channel and movies about the Old West, and he wants me to go with him to a museum. You know how I feel about museums after I saw that movie. I don't even go visit Zippy anymore. Okay, sidebar, Gus says. How is it that you don't believe in ghosts, but you still think Night at the Museum was a documentary? I know it's not a documentary, Gus. I am aware that Owen Wilson is life-size, Sean said, but it's a scary movie. Little plastic figures that come to life and have swords and guns. It was like Chucky all over again. Museums are creepy. You should know. You won't even go into the Egyptian room. That's completely different, Gus protested. My concerns are entirely legitimate. Whatever, unsidebar, Sean said. The point here is that you don't have anything to worry about. We can still do guy stuff together. We can even still do chick stuff together. I know how much you're looking forward to All About Steve. That isn't a chick movie, Sean, Gus said. Lots of guys want to see that movie. Sean thought about it. No, I'm pretty sure it's just you, but I'll go with you anyway. This is what I'm saying. We're best friends, Gus. That isn't going to change. Do you mean that? Gus demanded. Of course, Sean said. You're like family, Gus, and you can't get rid of family. My father is proof of that. Gus broke out into a grin and lunged forward, grabbing Sean in a fierce tackle hug. I am happy for you, he said. I think you're nuts for dating Lassiter, but I just want you to be happy. So if you're happy, I'm happy. Right now, I'm not so much happy as about to die of asphyxiation. Want to let up a little? Sean said, and Gus let him go, stepping back sheepishly. What are you two doing here? A hoarse voice demanded. Sean and Gus spun around to see the butler standing there, still in his tuxedo, holding a candle. This area is off-limits. You're to stay away from the east wing. Sean narrowed his eyes, taking a step back and bumping into Gus. No worries, he said. We were lost. We're heading back right now. See that you do, Aldous said, before turning and heading down the hall, the candlelight floating ahead of him. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe he did do it, Gus said. He's creeping me out. Let's go back, Sean. We can't head back now, Sean protested. The lights are broken in this hallway or something. We'll come back in the morning, Gus said. 
You know I can't stand it when people tell me not to go somewhere, Sean said. It's kind of like the opposite of when people tell me to go somewhere. It's exactly the opposite of that, Gus said. No, I mean, if someone tells me to do something, I don't want to. And if they tell me not to, I want to, Sean said. I don't want you to give me your Nintendo DS, Gus said. Sean bit the inside of his cheek and thought, I probably shouldn't have told you that about myself. I don't want you to go back where it's bright and warm and safe, Gus said. Oh, stop it, Sean said. It doesn't count when you do it anyway. We've got to find out what he's hiding. I'm not going down there, Sean, he said. Take out your cell phone, Sean said. We can use the light on it. It'll be fine. Use yours, Gus said. Mine died. Come on, Gus. This could break the whole case wide open, Sean said. Let's go. I don't know why I keep letting myself get talked into these things, Gus said, as he pulled out his cell phone and turned on the display light. He looked down the hallway with narrowed eyes, and Sean gave him a push to start him moving. What if the butler is hiding there in wait? What if he is the killer? Don't worry about him, Sean said. It's not him we're looking for. It's Holly. I may have seen her wandering around creepily. Holly? Gus said. The dead sister? You think there is a ghost now? Oh my god! If even you believe it, then there really is a ghost. We need salt. We need an EMF. We need... I did not see a ghost, Sean interrupted. I saw a person that is supposed to be dead, but obviously isn't dead because I saw them. You saw a ghost, Gus said. You were taking me down a dark hallway looking for ghosts? Have you gone mad? She's only dead allegedly, Sean said, and gave Gus another push. The lights behind them had automatically turned off again, a power-saving technique that Gus had appreciated at first, but was starting to resent. The light from his cell phone did not extend very far. These pictures are weird, Gus said, eyeing the portraits that lined the hall. I feel like I'm taking the Haunted Mansion tour at Disneyland. That's good. Go to a happy place, Sean said. I was terrified of that tour, Sean, Gus said. You probably shouldn't admit to that, he said. Five-year-olds had gone on that tour and not been impressed. That's not true that... Gus was cut off abruptly as Sean put a hand over his mouth and covered the light of his cell phone. They saw Aldous, still holding his candle, come out from a door on the left side of the hall, before walking across and entering through another door on the right. There was a window at the side of the hall, and another flash of lightning lit it up as the door clicked shut behind Aldous. Sean removed his hand from the cell phone and from Gus's mouth, and tilted his head towards the recently vacated room. The lights in the room came on automatically as they entered, and Sean carefully closed the door behind them. Harvey's study, Sean said, glancing around. There were pictures of Holly and Eveline arranged on the shelves holding Harvey's books. Holly looked to be about fifteen in all of them, the same way she looked in that portrait that was painted shortly before she supposedly died. "'What are we looking for?' Gus asked. "'Whatever we're not supposed to find,' Sean said. "'That's helpful,' he said. "'This is just a study, Sean. There's books and papers.' Sean frowned as he surveyed the room. Something was bothering him about the dimensions, the way the desk was situated at the back wall. He went to the door and leaned back out in the hall for a moment, measuring the distance to the window in his mind, before stepping back into the office and closing the door behind him. "'What?' Gus asked. Sean ignored him, stepping past him to stare at the back wall. He ran his eyes over the old fraying wallpaper. The background was a dark brown, with a gold-hued, almost geometric design overlaid on the top, lines crossing vertically and horizontally, interspersed with drawings of leafy vines crawling up and across them. He looked for any break in the design, any evidence of something off-center, but whoever had put it up had known what they were doing. 
When he finally found the crack, it was right at the edge of one of the golden-hued vertical lines, following it up almost seamlessly. It would have never been seen unless someone was looking for it. Sean, what are you doing? Are you going to help me look through this stuff or not? Gus demanded. Sean ran a hand over the break in the wall, before stopping where the door handle might have been, and applying pressure. He heard a magnetic click, and then the hidden door was opening slowly, creaking like the background sound effects in a made-for-Halloween CD. "'Is that a hidden door?' Gus asked, stepping up behind him. "'Did you just find a hidden door?' "'The room wasn't big enough,' Sean said. "'It was about four feet too short. I knew there had to be something behind this wall.' Gus gulped. "'Are you sure you want to know what it is?' he asked. Sean pulled the door open in answer and stepped inside. No lights came on, but Sean saw a lamp and clicked it on. The room was only about four feet wide, but it was at least fourteen feet across. A bed lay pushed up against one wall on one side, a pink daisy comforter laid across it, while a dresser was pushed up against the other. There wasn't room for anything else. "'There's no place for anyone to hide in here. I think you're safe,' Sean said. Gus followed him in reluctantly." Sean went straight to the dresser. There was a framed picture of a woman he didn't recognize, smiling at the camera. She looked a little like Holly. Sean was pretty sure the shoulder on the left side, belonging to someone that had been cropped out of the photo, was Harvey's. He turned the picture over and pulled it open to see if there was an inscription on the back of the photo. There wasn't one, though he had found something else of interest. Sean set it back down and noticed a pair of pearl earrings sitting beside a velvet red ribbon with a cameo tied to one end. He pocketed the earrings, and then turned back to see what Gus was doing. He had his face half laid on the bed, and was grunting and muttering to himself. "'What are you doing?' Sean asked. "'Never mind. Actually, I don't think I want to know. I'm looking for—' Gus grinned triumphantly. "'Aha!' He pulled a diary out from under the mattress. Sean frowned at him. "'How did you know that would be there?' he asked. "'Please. Joy always kept her diary under her bed,' Gus said." I didn't know girls really did that, he said. I thought it was a television myth. That's because you didn't have a sister, Sean, Gus said. No, but I had you, Sean said. You were almost like having a sister. Please, Gus said. Like you ever could have found my diary. I had the best hiding place ever. You called it a diary. I rest my case, Sean said. Anyway, everyone knows you kept it on your bookshelf behind your first edition copy of Ender's Game and your algebra textbook. Gus froze. How do you know about that? Are you kidding? Sean asked. I almost had that thing published. It was brilliant. I can recite most of it by heart. January 8th, 1989. Sean was mean to me today. Stop it, Gus snapped. I can't believe you read my diary. Well, I didn't read all of it, Sean said. You are more prolific than Judy Bloom. Gus glared at him. It was only like 20 pages, he snapped. If you're going to invade my privacy, you could have at least had the decency to read the whole thing. Sean took the diary from Gus and pulled at the lock, trying to wedge it open. It's like trying to get into Tut's tomb, he said, before pulling one hand away, shaking it out, and then sticking the tip of a finger in his mouth. Give me that, Gus said, ripping it out of his hands. He gripped the front cover with one hand and the back cover with the other, closed his eyes and scrunched up his face, and proceeded to try and pull it open. He moved his head side to side and then gave up, standing up straight and glaring at it. That was a very manly display of power, Sean said. I'm a little in awe of you. Shut up, Sean, he said. That lock's made of titanium or something. I'm fairly certain it isn't made of titanium, Sean said. It has my little pony on the cover. 
Typically, 12-year-old girls don't require that kind of security. You couldn't get into it either, Gus snapped. Sean held his hand out. I'll get it open, he said. Yeah, right, Gus said, handing it back. Sean grabbed it and turned his back on him, wiggling one hand in the air and whispering, Open sesame! He spun around and held the diary out, holding it by one edge of the cover so it swung open and all the pages went spinning to the other side. Ta-da! What the hell? Gus said, taking it back. How did you do that? Sean held up his other hand. A little gold key dangled from his pink string. I found the key in the picture frame. You had that the whole time? Gus demanded. Yes, Sean said. But I didn't want to deprive you of your Herculean efforts. Seriously, I thought you were the master safecracker. I thought no lock could stop you. It's the simple ones that are surprisingly effective, Gus said defensively. I'll be sure to recommend Hasbro to the NSA, Sean said. Sean looked back at the diary and flipped to the last used page. He started to read it, and Gus pulled it over so he could see it too, nearly slamming his head into Sean's. Ow! Be careful, Sean protested. Then move over, he snapped. I want to see it too. Sean grudgingly held it over so they could both read it. May 23rd, 1994. He thinks I don't know what he's planning, but Andy told me. He told Andy to pack and get rid of all my things, to make my room into a study before she gets here. Andy waited until he was gone and had my room walled up against the edge, like it wasn't ever there, hidden behind the wall so it'll be waiting for me, our little secret. Andy says not to worry, but Harvey says it's time for me to move on to a better place. I don't want to go. Oh my god, Sean! He killed her! Gus said. She is dead! She's the ghost! Oh my god! You saw a real-life ghost! Okay, firstly, that doesn't even make any sense. It's an oxymoron, Sean said. Secondly, there's no such thing as ghosts. And thirdly, he didn't kill her. A better place, Sean, Gus snapped. Yeah, I don't think the place he sent her was really better, Sean said, and grabbed a brochure up off the dresser to hand to Gus. Acres and Groves? Gus asked incredulously. The mental institution that was formed after they closed Wispy Sunny Pines? Yeah, and it gets worse, Sean said. I don't think she was his sister either. He held open a birthday card that had been sitting beside the brochure. On the inside, it was signed by Harvey, with love to Daddy's little girl. Who signs a card to their kid with their first name? Gus asked in belief. And who has their daughter committed and tells everyone she's dead? Someone that didn't want the new wife to know about her, Sean said. He had this place remodeled to get rid of the traces, claimed Holly was his dead sister. Only someone didn't want to just get rid of all her things like she'd never been here. You think Harvey Graves didn't even know this room was here? Gus asked. Holly said in the diary that he wanted it all taken away, Sean said. Andy must have been in charge of the remodeling and had a new wall put up, leaving a little space left to keep some of her room. That's creepy, Gus said. No one could live in this room. It's like something out of Edgar Allan Poe getting walled up in here. There's a door. Usually in Edgar Allan Poe, people walling up other people don't bother with doors, Sean said. Creepy though it may be. Whoever did this cared about Holly. They couldn't stand the thought of her just being erased. Sean paused as he heard a raised voice coming from the hallway, and beside him, Gus went very still. It's the ghost, he said nervously. Only if she's on testosterone, Sean said. Let's just get out of here, Gus said, tugging Sean back to the door. This place gives me the willies. Yeah, okay, but only if you promise not to say the willies anymore, Sean said, putting the diary under one arm and reaching out to turn off the lamp. 
He pressed the door to the room closed behind them, smoothing down the edges of the wallpaper to hide it again. Gust opened the study door, and he and Sean both stuck their heads out, looking both ways, before exiting the room. Gus pulled out his cell phone and started leading the way back down the hall. He was holding his cell phone in front of him like he was Indiana Jones and it was a torch, which made his very unmanly gasp when the light on his display flickered out extra amusing for Sean. The battery died! I did notice, Sean said. Neither of us have cell phones now, Sean. We have no way to communicate with the outside world! You mean the outside world that's like 20 feet away? Sean asked. 20 dark, scary feet away, Gus snapped and latched onto his friend, digging his fingers into his arm. "'What is it with your nails?' Sean demanded, trying to pull out of the death grip that Gus had on his arm. "'Are you auditioning to be Edward Scissorhands? Ease up! I can't see anything, Sean!' Gus snapped. "'We're going to die here!' "'We're not going to die,' Sean said. "'Probably. Most likely we aren't going to die. You're not helping,' Gus snapped, and then let out a high-pitched scream as a bright light appeared hovering behind them. Sean spun around and held up a hand to try and make something out, but the light was blinding them both. Gus grabbed Sean's sleeve and started tugging. It's the ghost! Run! Sean was about to protest again that it wasn't a ghost. It was probably just a murderer, but meeting a murderer in a dark hallway didn't sound like much fun either, so he started after him. He didn't make it very far before an arm slipped around his throat, wet and cold, and pulled him to a sudden stop. Sean! Gus cried anxiously as Sean was pulled backwards. He reached out to try and grab him, missing his leg and clutching onto Sean's left kangaroo shoe. I've got you! Hold on! Sean! Gus flew backwards as the shoe came off in his hands, and they both heard someone give a long, suffering sigh. Oh, for will the two of you calm down? A voice snapped. It's me. Sean flipped out of the grip around his throat. He stepped away to adjust his shirt with forced fastidiousness, as it became apparent that the ghost murderer was only Lassiter, a little wet from the rain, holding a high-powered flashlight. I knew it was you, obviously, Sean said. I was just waiting for Gus to figure it out. Don't lie, Sean. You were just as freaked as I was, Gus said. Yeah, well, you're useless as a savior, Sean said, and grabbed his shoe back from Gus. If Lassie really had been our murderer, I'd be dead, and missing a shoe. It's not my fault you don't properly tie your shoes, Gus said. They're Velcro, Sean protested. Well, no one forced you to buy shoes without any laces, did they? Gus asked. I hope you've learned your lesson. Sean narrowed his eyes and started towards Gus, but Laster grabbed him around the waist, spinning him around so he was between them. All right, enough, he snapped. One of you needs to tell me what's going on right now. Sean saw a ghost, Gus told Lassiter. I did not see a ghost, Sean corrected. I saw a person. Sean saw a dead person, Gus told Lassiter. Gus, there's no reason to think Holly is really dead, Sean said. That's what Harvey told Eveline. It doesn't mean that it's true. He also told Eveline that Holly was his sister. That's what we in the investigative trade call an unreliable source. Sean turned to Lassiter. How did you get in here? You call me. Tell me you've seen some kind of non-existent dead person, and you thought, what, I wouldn't worry? Lassiter asked. I found a way in, Sean. I thought you were in trouble. Sorry, Sean said. I was going to call you back, but my battery died. How did you know we would be here? I tracked down the butler. He told me he'd sent you back. So naturally I knew you'd still be snooping around here, Laster said. Sean grinned. You know me so well, he said. Were you in the other room? What? Laster asked. You came from behind us, Sean explained, and we didn't see you when we came out. Were you in the room across the hall? Oh yeah, Laster said. It's the butler's room. He let you in? Sean asked. 
were the creepy collages plastered everywhere? Any Edgar Allan Poe books? Maybe a copy of How to Build a Wall for Dummies? I didn't stay long, Laster said. I was just asking him where to find you. Right, Sean said. Well, I hope you know you passed up a perfect opportunity to get some dirt on my lead suspect. That's your lead suspect? Laster asked disbelievingly. He's like a hundred years old. What is with this bias against old people all of a sudden? Sean demanded, as though they're not just as capable of murder as anyone else. I'm highly offended on their behalf. You and Gus should both be ashamed of yourselves. Laster rolled his eyes. Come on, he said, ushering them both down the hall. The three of them headed back to the kitchen. Sonny had finally left for bed, but she had left pudding chaos in her wake. There were still pudding-filled bowls lining most of the surfaces, chocolate powder sprinkled all over the floor. When Sean opened the fridge, it was pudding, top to bottom shelf. Pudding, anyone? he asked. He turned back around to find Gus and Laster in some weird kind of face-off. Laster looked as confused about it as Sean, but Gus had on his don't-mess-with-me face, which was really quite an impressive feat for someone with such a high-pitched scream. What? No one likes pudding? I think it's time Laster and I had a talk, Gus said, seeing as how this thing between the two of you looks like it's getting serious. What talk? Sean asked. The best friend's significant other talk, Gus explained, to see where we stand. Laster looked at Sean. Do you have any idea what he's talking about? Sean shrugged, grabbing a spoon and started eating a bowl of pudding. I know you've always felt threatened by me, Gus told Laster, his eyes wide and earnest. Guster, I can tell you in all honesty that I've never been even remotely threatened by you, Laster said. Gus smiled wryly. Right, he said. Of course not, detective. I've got you. He winked for effect, and Laster opened his mouth to protest. Sean grabbed onto his arm before he could. Gus has an eye twitch, he whispered. Best you don't point it out. Laster glanced over at him warily, but he had lost his chance to interrupt. Gus had started talking again. Sean and I, see, we're a package deal. We're partners. We solve crime together. We have movie nights on Tuesday and Thursdays. All the days that start with tea, actually, Sean said helpfully. Exactly. On tea days, we have movie nights, and we have video game marathons on Mondays, but you can have him Wednesdays and Fridays and the weekends, because honestly, I could use the break, Gus said. Hey, Sean protested. Are we arranging shared custody? Laster asked in disbelief. Gus thought about it and then nodded. Yeah, I think we are. Maybe we should put this down in writing. There will be no writing anything down, Sean said quickly. You know binding contracts freak me out. Okay, it'll be an oral contract then, Gus said, and paid no attention to Sean's disturbed glance. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be leaving. Where are you going? Sean demanded. It's Saturday, Sean, Gus said. That means your Laster's problem now. I'm going home to get some sleep. But you're going to miss out on everything, Sean protested. Sorry, Sean, Gus said. I need my six hours of sleep, and I can't take this stress. Call me in the morning. Gus! Sean called, but Gus was out the door. He turned to Laster with a pout. Can you believe that? Laster sits on the barstool beside him and rests his head on the counter. Yes, I told you Guster was the only one with sense, he said. Six hours of sleep sounds pretty good. Sean sighed. What is it with you people? You act like you've never stayed up all night before. I don't usually, Laster said, sometimes on a big case. This case is big, and we still have lots of work to do, Sean said. You're eating pudding. Laster said, eyeing him dubiously. Sean licked the spoon clean. It's all part of my process, he explained. He finished off the bowl of pudding and then jumped to his feet. Okay, let's... 
He broke off as he realized Laster had fallen asleep, his head resting on his crossed arms, the toes of his shoes braced against the tile floor. Sean sighed. He wasn't about to leave Laster asleep here with the undead on the loose, and he didn't want to wake him up. He moved quietly around the kitchen, searching for something to keep him occupied, and grinned when he saw a roll of butcher paper leaning against the counter. He slid it to the floor and rolled it open, laying a long piece of paper parallel to the counter. He found a box of markers in one of the drawers and pulled the cap off the blue one with his teeth before getting to work. He paused with the marker held against the paper and closed his eyes for a moment before opening them again and drawing the lines from memory, labeling everything he recognized and leaving the rest blank. He pulled out a red pen next, tracing along the edges and moving the side, nearly running off the edge of the paper. He was nearly finished when he felt he was being watched, and he glanced up to see Lassiter was awake. "'What are you doing?' Laster asked quietly. "'Drawing a map,' Sean said. "'The one they have here is wrong.' Laster stood from the stool and then kneeled beside Sean, frowning at what he saw. It was an intricate blueprint of the house. He'd seen the map in the entryway when he came in, and this seemed to match it almost exactly from what he could tell. "'See this?' Sean said, pointing to the red marks on the map, a hallway that went down from the entryway and ended at two rooms. It isn't on the official guide they have tacked up out there. Everything in red is what they didn't bother to put on the map. "'You did this from memory?' Laster asked quietly, turning to look at Sean with something like disbelief. Since he learned the truth, Laster sometimes thought the psychic thing was the easier story to believe. "'And the rest just from walking through the halls?' Sean nodded. "'It's not like it's a scale or anything,' he said. But the Lester noticed that all the lines seemed perfectly straight, as though he'd drawn them with a ruler and not by sight. Sean pointed to a small section lined off from the study. This is where we found the hidden room. What hidden room? Laster asked. Sean tossed Laster the diary. Part of his daughter's old room. They had a wall built around it when Harvey wanted it gone. He said, sent her off to an institution far as we can tell, though she came home recently. I saw her earlier. She's Gus's ghost. Daughter? Laster asked. Oh yeah, you were right. He doesn't have a sister. Sean explained. Holly Graves was his daughter, and she isn't dead. Laster glanced through the diary before looking back at the map. I didn't find any record of a daughter, either. What else is down there? He asked. Aldous's room, which you saw, and Harvey's study, Sean said. Maybe it's not on the map because Harvey wanted to keep his office private. Maybe it's because someone had his daughter locked up in the walls. Don't you think someone would have noticed? Lassiter asked. People did notice, Sean said. It's just that they all thought she was a ghost. Laster frowned as Sean ripped the paper off the roll before spreading out a new piece. What are you doing now? he asked. I like to make lists, Sean said. Huh, that's what we do too, Laster said, leaning over him. He looked at what Sean was doing. Actually, that's nothing like we do. What is this supposed to be? I write in code, Sean said defensively. Well, pictograms. Anyway, I need to look again at my suspects. I feel like I'm in the middle of a rousing game of Clue. We've got the maid in the kitchen with the pudding, the butler in the hall with the candlestick, the widow in the upstairs bedroom with the sleeping pills, the long-lost daughter in the hidden room. Sean squinted at his paper, drawing everything he described in stick-figure style. And then we've got Harvey, Sean said, an expert swimmer who drowned in a seven-foot pool. They're all good suspects, Laster said. It could have been any of them. Except I don't think it was any of them, Sean said. I thought you were blaming it on the butler, Laster said. Oh, he's definitely hiding something, Sean said. But I don't think he killed anyone. And Holly was the one spotted at the scene of the crime. What are you talking about? I talked to her, Hera, and she didn't say anything about a witness, Laster said. 
Sonny didn't tell the police, Sean said. She thought she saw an apparition. She didn't think anyone would believe her. So it's obviously Holly then, Laster said. What's the problem? It's obvious, Sean said. That's the problem. Laster rolled his eyes. He settled down on the floor and paged through the diary for a while, before laying out and falling asleep beside Sean. Sean couldn't sleep, even if someone didn't need to stay on watch. So he laid out another strip of butcher paper and started to write down all he knew. Eveline. Motive. Harvey was mean. Also, lots of money. Means. The pills were hers. Defense. Probably didn't use a tripwire on herself, or try to choke herself. The butler. Motive. Harvey was mean. Wanted the East Wing to himself. Means. Access to Eveline's pills. Trusted by Harvey. Defense. Really, really old. Sonny. Motive. Thought Harvey was gross and mean. Means. Access to pills and kitchen. Could have slipped it in a drink. Defense. Would not have had time to make so much pudding of plotting murders. Holly. Motive. Harvey was really mean. Also, she's crazy. Means. She can make her way through the house unnoticed. Access to everything. Defense. She saved the card her father gave her. Lives in a wall. Obviously does not care about material games. It could have been any of them. But that didn't mean it had to be one of them. Sean had the worst feeling he'd left someone off the list. Laster's head hit the tile floor with a loud crack, and he jerked awake, reaching instinctively for the butt of his gun. What? What happened? Sean was sitting cross-legged beside him, unconcerned. He was drawing what looked like Casper on a new stretch of paper with blue marker. "'Oh, yeah, sorry about that,' he said. "'You were laying on my leg, and while very cute, I started to lose all feeling at about 4 a.m., and I was beginning to worry they'd have to amputate.' "'You shoved me off?' Laster asked indignantly, pulling his shirt up to look at his stomach. "'I think I have a gun indentation in my stomach.' Sean paused and glanced up. "'Note to self.' Don't let Laster sleep with firearms down his pants. Could very well put an end to my new favorite pastime. Laster turned to glare at him, and then seemed to notice the state of the floor. It was covered almost completely with paper, most of the writing on it nonsensical, including what appeared to be a three-page treatise on why the pineapple toss should be included in the Olympics. Have you been at this all night? Laster asked incredulously. You were falling asleep on me like you had late-onset narcolepsy, "'Someone had to stand watch,' Sean told him. "'What is this?' Laster asked. "'I'm organizing my thoughts,' Sean said. "'I'm sure I've said this before,' Laster said. "'But your mind is a scary place, isn't it?' Sean was about to respond when Laster took the marker from him, snapping the cap back on. "'Hey!' he protested. "'Don't you think you should clean this up before someone comes in and sees it?' Laster asked. "'Honestly, I think it's an improvement over last night.' Sean said. It looked like Count Chocula threw up in here. Laster just sighed and started carefully gathering the papers together. More than one seemed to have bonded to the floor with sticky chocolate pudding. Sean had gotten to his feet beside him, and he reached down to grab everything together in one frenzied move, crumbling the paper carelessly and then pushing it into the trash can. Laster frowned. I thought that was your version of an evidence log, he asked. Sean dusted his hands off and grinned. Edetic memory, remember? He pointed to his head. This is my evidence log. The coloring is just for fun. 
Laster rolled his eyes and glanced down at his watch. It's only about 5.30, he said. We should go to my place and try to get some sleep. You've been sleeping all night, Sean protested, and I'm fine. We need to keep working. Lying on a hard kitchen floor with a gun digging into my stomach isn't exactly the most refreshing night's sleep I've ever had, Laster said, and I thought you were over your insomnia. You don't get over insomnia, Sean said. Sometimes you have it and sometimes you don't, but it's not like there's a cure, unless you count sleeping pills, which you refuse to take, Laster said. You won't take them either. Why would I take them? I have no trouble sleeping, Laster said. Okay, I can't argue with that, Sean agreed. You're kind of like one of those little toy dolls. Your eyes shut when you lay down and open again when you sit up. It's really quite impressive. I've learned to grab sleep where I can, Laster said defensively, but I've trained myself to wake at the slightest noise. Really, Sean said. It's funny you didn't wake up at all last night, then, not even during my lovely rendition of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Yeah, well, I've also trained myself to tune you out, Laster said, so there's a conflict. Sean grinned, about to voice his rejoinder, when he heard the sound of clicking heels. Eveline walked into the room, apparently unconcerned with all the pudding, and made a beeline for the coffee machine. She was wearing pink high heels and another overpriced dress. This morning, though, her makeup was perfect. Once she had the coffee started, she finally glanced over at them. "'Oh, Mr. Oates! I didn't realize you were here,' she said. Laster opened his mouth to let her know that wasn't his name, but Sean beat him to the punch. "'Please, Eveline, call him Holland,' he said. "'There's no need for formalities between us.' Alaster turned to glare at him, but Eveline just gave a slight smile, one that had Laster wondering if she knew very well it wasn't his name. "'Holland, then,' she said. "'Where is Gus?' "'He's pursuing other leads,' Sean said. "'How did you sleep?' "'Better than usual, thank you,' she said. "'It was very kind of you to stay here. "'Did you encounter any spirits?' Not exactly, he said, reaching deep into his pocket. He stepped in front of Eveline, holding out his hand, the pearl earrings resting on his palm. But I think these belong to you. My earrings, she said happily, taking them from him. Where did you find them? In your stepdaughter's room, Sean said. Eveline frowned. I don't have a stepdaughter, she said. You do, actually, Sean said. Her name is Holly Graves. Eveline sighed, leaning against the counter. Harvey was even more of a bastard that I've been giving him credit for, wasn't he? She asked quietly. Pretty much, Sean said. We found her room hidden behind the wall in his study. Do you know why that part of the house wasn't included on the map? I never even noticed it wasn't, she said, shaking her head. Harvey's study is pretty much all that's down there. I never spent any time on that side of the house. But all this does. Do you know why? Sean asked. Eveline shrugged. He's free to go wherever he wants. He chooses to sleep in the spare room down there, she said. He asked if he could use Harvey's study after he died, and I said he could. I don't want anything to do with it myself. And you had no idea that Harvey might have had a daughter? Sean asked. You never received any strange phone calls from her? Anything like that? Eveline turned to look at him sharply. You're acting as though she isn't dead, she said. That's because I don't think she is, Sean said. I don't think your problem has anything to do with ghosts. Eveline placed a hand over her mouth and sat heavily on one of the bar stools. This is all too much, she said. Are you sure it's not Harvey? Your husband is dead, Laster told her firmly. I saw him myself. Eveline nodded, but still turned to look at Sean. 
and he's gone? He's really gone? Your house is 100% ghost-free, Sean told her, but that doesn't mean it's safe. Are you sure you can't tell us anything else about Holly? No, I had no idea about any of this. Eveline sighed. You should talk to Aldous. He knows all of Harvey's sturdy little secrets. Sean nodded. Okay, we will, he assured her. Then we're going to have to go check some things out. You need to be careful. You might want to get out of the house for a while. You should stay with a friend, Laster told her, or at a hotel. Eveline shook her head. This is my home, she said. I wasn't going to let a ghost drive me out of it, and this isn't any different. This is different because this threat is real, Laster snapped. Sean stepped in front of him. What he means is ghosts are ethereal, and the damage they can do is limited, he said. Someone flesh and blood doesn't have that kind of limitation. Miss Graves, Laster interrupted. If you don't listen to our advice, we can't protect you. I understand that, Eveline said. I'll be careful. She walked over to the intercom. Aldous, Mr. Spencer and Mr. Oates would like a word with you. Please meet them in the entryway. Thank you, Laster said. Be careful, Sean told her. The good news is the killer only seems to strike at night, and with any luck we'll have caught them by then. Eveline nodded. I'll be okay, she said. It was the thought of Harvey being here that was scaring me. Anything else I can handle. Even a stepdaughter I didn't know I had. Anyway, I always said I'd like to have met her. Laster frowned as he and Sean went to meet Aldous. She should be more careful. She should be more careful what she wishes for, he said. You don't know it's Holly, Sean said. Innocent until proven guilty. Isn't that a cop rule? No, Laster said dryly. That's a lawyer rule. We have to look at everyone like they're guilty until they're proven innocent. Well, that explains our first meeting, Sean said. Laster frowned. That's not fair, he snapped. And all of our subsequent meetings, Sean continued, and all of your meetings with anyone else ever. What are you trying to say? Laster demanded. You're kind of a suspicious person, Sean said. It's okay. I still love you. Here, have a hug. Laster held out his hands, placing it over Sean's face to hold him back. I am not a suspicious person, he said, and no hugging in public. Someone could be watching. Sean stuck out his tongue, and Laster pulled his hand away in surprise. Sean grinned at him. You think we're being watched, but you're not suspicious? Sirs, Aldous said dryly. Sean glanced over at him. Huh, he said before turning to Laster. What do you know? You were right. We were totally being watched. Laster pushed past him in irritation. We have some questions for you, he said. Where were you on the night of Harvey's death? I was asleep in my room, Aldous said. Of course you were, Sean said, deciding to take up the role of good cop. But where was Holly? Aldous's lips twitched slightly, but that was all that gave him away. Young Miss Graves died some time ago, he said. I'm sorry to say she's been dead ever since. Then who was checked into Acres and Groves? Sean asked. I'm sure I don't know, Aldous said. I imagine a great number of people have been. And I'm sure you know nothing about the room hidden in Harvey's study either, Laster demanded. As far as I know, the only room in Mr. Graves' study is Mr. Graves' study, Aldous said. If there is nothing else, please allow me to get the door for you. Aldous walked to the door and generously held it open for them. Sean knew that was his fancy, upper-class way of saying, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. He only let him get away with it because he had other places to be, and other people to question, that may actually even tell him the truth. 
He grabbed Lassiter by the sleeve and tugged him along. See you again soon, Sean called behind him, and Aldous closed the door in his face. What was that about? Lassiter demanded. You didn't get him to talk at all. We need to go back in there. He knows something. Of course he does, Sean said, but he's not going to tell us, so we might as well not waste our time. What we need to do is go to Acre and Groves. What's so important about Acres and Groves? Laster asked. Isn't that a mental hospital? Yes, and possibly it's where Holly's really been since her tragic death, Sean said. Laster ran a hand over his face and then looked at Sean with narrowed eyes. You haven't fallen off the wagon, have you? He asked. You look pretty awake. Sean rolled his eyes. No, I've been Red Bull free all week, he said. Scout's honor. Were you really a scout? Laster asked. Have you met my father? Sean asked. I was a Cub Scout, a Boy Scout, a Rover Scout, an Air Scout, a Sea Scout. Take your pick. Never more than a week for any one of them, mind you. But they still count. I have the badges and everything. Sean paused and placed a hand to his heart. Scout's honor. I don't know why I'm surprised, Laster said, before giving him a push towards the car, which was still parked on the other side of the fence. Sean glanced up at the tall fence. How did you get in here? he asked. Did you scale the gate? Yes, Laster said. I don't have the code to open it, and it's not that high. You don't think you can manage it? Laster smugly blew on his hands and pulled himself up the first half of the gate. Sean watched him for a moment and then punched the code into the control box beside the fence. It started to open with a loud creak, taking Laster with it. Sean waved happily as he moved along the road until he was hovering over the lawn. Damn it, Spencer! Laster snapped before dropping to the ground. How did you know the code? Sean heaved a sigh as Laster walked over to join him. I miss the old days when I didn't have to explain myself, he said. I could just say, I'm psychic, and then leave it at that. You want to take the magic out of everything. How, Spencer? Laster demanded. It's Holly's birthday, Sean said. I found a birthday card in her room, and it was dated in the corner. Harvey had guilt issues about locking up his kid that resulted in him putting her picture everywhere. It seemed to follow that he'd set her birthday up as the code. That's probably how she got in. My dad uses my birthday on his safe, too. It's just lucky for him that I have no interest in his collector's edition fishing lures. And you couldn't have mentioned that a few moments before? Laster asked. I didn't know it would work, Sean said, as Laster moved to the driver's side of his car. It could have just as easily failed spectacularly, and I would have had to climb the gate right along with you. Sean dropped into the passenger seat and pulled open the glove box. He frowned. You ate all of the red vines? Really? he asked. That was going to be my breakfast. Maybe we should go back for more pudding. Laster put the car in drive without bothering to respond to that. What we're doing, he said, is going to my place to get in bed. I know I'm really hard to resist, Sean said, but we're in the middle of a murder investigation. This is hardly the time for a booty call. To sleep, Spencer, Laster said. You've reverted back to calling me Spencer, Sean said. It's Sean, remember? You still call me Lassiter, Laster said, or Lassie, which is worse. Carl, Carl, nope, can't do it, Sean said. You're a Lassie. I think it's your big, soulful puppy dog eyes. Laster heaved a sigh. You're never going to stop calling me that, are you? He asked. I always give nicknames to people I love, Sean said. Gus, Jules, Henry. Henry isn't a nickname, Laster said, and those are all better than mine. You'd rather I call you Jules? Sean asked. That's not what I meant, Laster snapped. 
How about Lassilus? Lassilot? Lass? Ass? Sean grinned. That last one has potential. Stick with Lassie, he snapped. I knew you'd come around, Sean said, and continued to rifle through the glove box to find any spare snacks. It looked like Lassiter had eaten his way through all of them. Sean frowned when he glanced back up and realized they were on Lassiter Street. I don't have my motorcycle here. If you really need to take a nap, can you drop me off at the psych office first? You need to sleep, Sean, Laster said. How long have you been up now? Insomnia only kills you if you go eleven days without sleep, Sean said. I think I'm still safe. Will you at least try? Laster asked. Because I need to sleep, Sean, and I don't like the idea of you going to a mental institution without supervision. They may not let you out. They'd be lucky to have me, Sean said. I'm a lot of fun. Sean, Laster said. Sean rolled his eyes as Laster pulled into his driveway. Fine, he said, but we're going to go to Acres and Groves first thing after your beauty sleep, right? Of course, Laster said. It's not even six. We need to rest or we'll miss something. That's not actually a problem for me, Sean told him, but Laster was already out of the car. Sean followed him with another heavy sigh and braced himself to go inside. They hadn't come to Laster's house much since they had gotten together. They had spent most of their time at Sean's apartment. Logistically, Laster's house made a lot more sense. It was bigger. The kitchen was always well stocked with the staples. There were no nosy neighbors. Sean's apartment was fairly small, with noisy people above and beside it, and the only thing he had in his fridge were Skittles. Sean stopped in the entryway as Laster locked the door behind them and tried not to look into the living room. The bloodstains had all been cleaned, of course. Laster had the carpet ripped up and replaced as soon as the CSI cleared it all of evidence. Even the couch was brand new. But that was the thing about remembering everything. If Sean looked too hard at the living room floor, he could see Drummer's body laid out across it like it was still there. Laster grabbed his shoulders and steered him past the living room towards the bedroom, which was one part of the house that Sean had nothing but fond memories of. Laster put his gun in the nightstand and towed off his shoes at the same time he shrugged out of his jacket, and Sean glanced at the floor. Sean knew he would be expected to make some kind of lewd comment, but he always felt a little off-kilter when he came here. Laster grabbed Sean's hands and pulled him towards the bed, frowning slightly. "'I can move again,' he said, and Sean didn't like that he was that easy to read, so he looked up at Laster and grinned. "'Why would you do that?' he asked. He dropped down onto the bed and pushed his shoes off, too, before slipping back towards the pillows. Laster lay down beside him with a sigh and placed a hesitant arm around his waist. Next time we'll go to your place, he said quietly. Sean closed his eyes and stood up answering, but he didn't go to sleep. waited until Laster was asleep, snoring softly, before slipping out of his arms. Sleep had never come easily to Sean. Having a mind that remembered everything it saw always made for vivid dreams, and lately the things Sean had been seeing lent themselves more to nightmares. He found it especially hard to sleep beside Lassiter. He didn't want to ruin his image by waking up screaming bloody murder, because behind his eyes he had seen Lassie or Gus or his father dead which was mostly the way it went these days, almost always. He was always at the scene of the crime, and he was always blind, unable to see a thing to solve the case. He bet his mother would have a lot to say about something like that. It was probably for the best that he wouldn't ever tell her. 
Anyway, Sean didn't know what he was so worried for. He figured out of the four of them, the one to most likely end up dead was him. He wondered what it meant that he never dreamt about that. Sean shed his clothes as he made his way to the bathroom, and stood under Laster's shower for a good fifteen minutes, with his head pressed against the tile, taking careful deep breaths as he dispelled all the images from all the dreams he was refusing to have again. He turned his mind instead to the case at hand. He had to pay a visit to Acres and Groves. He had to find out if Holly ever made it there, and how long she'd stayed. That was the first thing. He felt better with a goal in mind, and finished the shower, before putting his jeans back on and stealing some of Laster's socks. He opened the closet carefully and surveyed the stock. Laster had shirts all pressed and hung side by side. Three nearly identical suit jackets pushed to the far left. Sean grabbed a blue dress shirt off one of the hangers and pulled it on. He buttoned it up and rolled the sleeves back a few times, but they still hung over his wrists. It would have to do. He and Laster had yet to reach the stage of their relationship where they had assigned each other a drawer. So for now he'd just have to continue to resort to stealing his stuff. Sean was searching for his shoes when the doorbell rang. Laster rolled over in irritation, his hand automatically going for the drawer while he kept his gun. I'm on a him, he said. Sean grabbed his hand before he could grab it. Simmer down, dirty Harry. It's probably just a Girl Scout, he said. I'll answer the door. Laster let out a sigh that may have been an acknowledgement and rolled back over, and Sean half wondered if he ever fully awoke. He wandered into the living room and opened the door, stiffening almost unconsciously when he saw who was standing there on the other side. "'Well, you're certainly not a Girl Scout,' Sean said. His father gave him a once-over that was tempered with badly reined-in disapproval, obviously noting the too large shirt and the fancy black dress socks that didn't have any holes and couldn't have more obviously not belonged to him. "'I've been calling you most of the night,' Henry said, looking back up to meet his eyes. "'I went to your apartment and you weren't there. It finally occurred to me that I should check here.' "'You're quite the detective,' Sean said, stepping onto the porch and closing the door. "'What's so urgent that it couldn't wait until I remembered to recharge my phone?' "'I'm worried about you, Sean. You're going to get hurt,' Henry said. "'It isn't easy being a cop's wife.' "'I believe the politically correct term is life partner,' Sean said. "'You know what I mean,' Henry said, frustrated. "'You just like her, you know.' "'You always have to bring her into it, don't you?' Sean demanded. "'She was a hippie when I met her.' into all those new-age psych classes, Henry said. She hated to be tied to any one place. Still does. Sound familiar at all? She couldn't handle it, Sean. What makes you think you can? Okay, first of all, she handled it for 17 years. And second of all, I think we both know the problem was less that you were a cop than it was that you were you, he snapped. And then there's the fact that I'm not mom, and Laster sure as hell isn't you. I just don't think you're thinking this through, Henry said. What do you and Laster even have in common? We both enjoy a good pineapple, Sean said. What's with the twenty questions? You've never cared who I dated before. You were never serious about anyone before, Henry said. I think maybe you are about this, and I don't know if you're ready for this kind of commitment. What happens if you and Laster have a fight? You're going to be halfway across state lines before the door finishes slamming shut. That's not fair, Sean said. I've been back here longer than you, and I haven't run yet. Believe me when I say it hasn't been easy, but I'm still here. I'm not going anywhere. Henry sighed, glancing back towards the street. I hope that's true. What did you really come here for? Sean said. I want you and Laster to come to dinner, Henry said. No surprises this time, just dinner. 
I'm not sure Laster can handle seeing you again so soon, Sean said. You nearly traumatized him the last time. Henry crossed his arms. I'm allowed to be protective, Sean. You're always going to be my kid. I wanted to know his intentions. His intentions? You're worried he's not going to make an honest man of me? Sean asked. I'm worried he's going to break your heart, Henry snapped. There's not too many people in this world you actually let close, Sean. I'm not even sure if I'm one of them. There's your mother and Gus, and that's pretty much it. You're one of them, Sean said, only somewhat resentfully, if not entirely by choice. Just come for dinner, okay? I promise not to be too hard on him, Henry said. How's Monday? Monday is a gust day, Sean said. Wednesday would be better. A gust day? Henry started. Never mind. Wednesday's fine. Be there at seven. All right, but if you start talking about your gun collection again, I'm going to grab Laster and run, Sean told him, as Henry started towards his truck. Oh, and kiddo, Henry said, spinning back around to face him. The basement looks good. See what you can accomplish when you put your mind to it? It did go much faster after I started selling most of your stuff on eBay, Sean called after him. Henry just waved and got in his truck. Sean figured he'd probably done inventory the moment he left, and so he knew he was lying. He closed and locked the door behind him, and then wandered back into the house. He stopped right where the kitchen tile met the living room carpet, and frowned down at it. It was the same off-white color it had been before. Sean figured these memories would be a lot easier to get over if Laster was a normal person and had a television instead of a wall of wanted posters. Sean didn't like the constant reminders, but he wasn't most people. And he didn't need the reminders because he carried everything around in his head. Sean looked over at them and then smiled at one between attempted murder guy and assault with a deadly weapon guy. It was a picture of Gus glaring at the camera, eyes squinted, and captioned, Burton Buster Guster, 800,000, wanted dead or alive. He'd made it in Photoshop and tacked it up himself in an attempt to give the place the personality that Laster's home deserved. He found it endlessly amusing that Laster still hadn't noticed it to take it down, and the next time he had a free moment, he was going to have to make one for himself. He always wanted a second chance at a good mugshot. His father hadn't let him fix his hair at all before taking the first one. Sean was getting restless, so he leaned over the kitchen counter to look at Laster's key rack, but the car keys weren't there. He must still have them in his pocket. It was just lucky that these days Sean was allowed to stick his hand down Laster's pants. He slipped back into the room, pushing his shoes back on before walking to the bed. Laster was still sleeping soundly, and Sean leaned over him, kissing him softly as he carefully pulled the keys from his pocket. Laster stood awake and ran a hand over his eyes. "'Who was at the door?' he asked. "'My dad,' Sean said. "'You should be sleeping.' Laster frowned as he noticed Sean was dressed. "'Where are you going?' "'Following up on a lead,' Sean said. "'Go back to sleep.' Sean started to pull away, and Laster caught his wrist, turning it up to see the keys in his hand. You must think I'm nuts if you think I'm going to let you drive my car, Laster said. Sean grinned. Then you better get dressed, because you've just volunteered to come with me.